Good evening, Durham. You're listening to Sports Feed on Purple Radio, your home of Durham Sports. Tonight, the Purple Radio sports team will be keeping up to date with all the latest news from the Carabao Cup final between Chelsea and Manchester City. That is currently 0-0. I'm Adrian Wadiev, and today I'm joined by Ed Chambers, George Genk, Bertie Moores and Daniel Reese. As ever on today's show, we'll be reviewing events in the college sporting world and look at how the university sides have got on this week, including a massive win for the Durham Rugby Men's Ones. More on that later. Of course, last week we focused on successes of the women's team. And in a busy week, weekend in the national international world of sport, we'll be looking back at the best of the action, including the Premier League, Six Nations and the latest news from the cricket in the West Indies. You're of course listening to Sports Feed on Purple Radio with me, Adrian Wadiev, where the time has just gone past five o'clock on this Sunday evening and it's time for the sports headlines with Ed Chambers. Durham News. Good evening, Durham. I'm Ed Chambers here with the headlines at five o'clock. We start with football and Liverpool who got the point that they needed to return to the top of the Premier League but were left frustrated by their failure to break down a Manchester United side that was ravaged by injuries. A draw at the home of their fiercest rivals would usually be seen as mission accomplished for Jurgen Klopp's side but this has to go down as something of a wasted opportunity to get some daylight over nearest rivals Manchester City. Injuries to three midfielders uh, meant United were forced to use all of their substitutes in a bizarre 25-minute period before half-time, with one of them, Jesse Lingard, quickly being replaced by himself. But Solskjaer's team tactically adapted, and given these challenges, a nil-nil result has to go down as a point gained. Elsewhere, Arsenal beat Southampton 2-0, and the Carabao Cup final, as uh, Adrian just mentioned, between Manchester City has just started. Neither Higuain or Alonso are starting for Chelsea in a week in which things have gone from bad to worse, with the club being banned from transfer uh, for a year. A win is surely a must for Sarri's men. Also today, Claude Puel has been sacked from Leicester City after their 4-1 loss to Palace last night. In the rugby in the Six Nations this afternoon, Ireland have beaten Italy in an underwhelming performance. They, registered, they did register a bonus point in their 26-16 win in Rome, but this, this was far from the quality that had been, had been predicted at the start of this competition, and it's certainly not the calibre of world champions just now. In the women's Six Nations this afternoon, England remained on course to win the women's Six Nations Grand Slam after an emphatic nine-try victory over Wales. Prop Sarah Byrne and wing uh, Jess Breach scored two tries each and flanker Marley Packer crossed two as England claimed a bonus point after 26 minutes. In golf, uh, American Dustin Johnson moved four strokes uh, clear after three rounds of the WGC Mexico Championship. Um, the 34-year-old world number three, uh, two ahead at the halfway stage, was six clear midway through day three, posting a five under 66 to reach 16 under. 
Rory McIlroy was reigned as a second after a 68, mixing, mixing seven birdies with four bogeys. And while Tiger Woods had a four putt in his 70 and his six under alongside Tommy Fleetwood, the final round is set to kick off in the next few hours. That's all from me, uh, Adrian. Plenty to talk about in the next couple of hours and looking forward to do so. Back yeah, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Ed, for uh, great news headlines. I don't know, Jeff, has it? That was liquid football. This is Sportsbeat on Purple Radio. Welcome back to Sports Feed on Purple Radio, where the time is seven minutes past five on this Sunday evening. And while it's been a busy week uh, for sport, it's been equally so for Purple Radio Sport, with another episode of It's Still Nil Nil arriving. Uh, just go to the Purple Radio 99 profile page on Mixcloud, and you can get in touch with us on this feel-good Sunday evening. be a nice, warm, mild, sunny day up in the northeast. You can do that via Twitter, at Sports Feed on PR. PR or the, via the message board on the Purple Radio website. Uh, the ever-reliable Daniel Reese, just about, is back this weekend after being away at Sheffield last week and participating for Durham in the Athletics. Uh, was it a good weekend last weekend, Daniel? It was a good weekend. Um, I mean, did you win? I mean, that's the big question. No, 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 I didn't win. Um, oh. no, no medals for you, I'm afraid. But some very good performances there anyway. Uh, our own Team Durham president, Will Ritchie Moulin, was in the final of the Men's 60 Hurdles. He came fourth, didn't he? He came fourth, 8.04 seconds, but a very, very good personal best and a time that would have gotten uh, in the medals last last year. But the, the field in the men's 60 hurdles, very strong indeed. So a very good performance from him. Uh, absolutely. Oh, well, you're back anyway. You're going to be talking college sport tonight. Indeed. And uh, you're going to kick us off with a bit of netball, is it? No, 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 that, 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 no that, that tune has changed, that tune changed, changed a up. long time ago, Go yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Well, I thought I'd start off with um, the men's squash at Premiership, because this was uh, one of the sort of fin- finales of the season to end was, all finale- finales, yeah, it was fantastic, all yeah, yeah. Um, the top three sides all finishing on 27 points, um, Collingwood, Hillbead and Van Mildert all won nine and drew one of their uh, ten fixtures. Uh, Collingwood prevailed in the end by virtue of their score difference. They sat on plus 36. Hill, Bede and Milder sat on plus 34 and plus 22 respectively. And these three sides all lost once to each other. Milder lost to Collingwood. Hill, Bede lost to Collingwood. No, Milder lost to Collingwood. Hill, Hill, Bede lost to Collingwood and Collingwood lost to Milder. It works out. Yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think that makes. I think that's, one I think team. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's dramatic. That's for certain. Absolutely. I mean, being involved in that. Yeah, uh, and and so um, that was a great, great end of the season that eventually saw Collingwood A crowned squash championships. Um, battle uh, uh, win the squash championships. Um, battle of the Saints saw Marys, Chads, and Johns all stay up. Hatfield A and Grey B went down. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, the Saints so survived. They did indeed. Their holiness prevailed. And um, so I, I don't think there can't have been many close closest to the season that were as dramatic as that. No, absolutely. And of course, we're getting to that point of the year now, and the point of term where it's uh, hot up, isn't it? Really, the uh, the fight towards the, the relegation and uh, the promotions, the title wins, and uh, 
And just on that, I uh, decided to actually have a look at the Ultimate Frisbee, because we haven't spoken about it very much in Sports Feed this year. Oh, yes. Um, sport. I feel as if Daniel's being slightly... Is it a sport? Pejorative. Or um, not? It's a lot of fun. I've never played. I have. I wasn't very good. Maybe that's why I'm not, I don't like it. But no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's all right. It's fine. Please, go on I've and done it in the back me. garden. That's it. Uh, <laughs> Hatfield, B, uh, Hatfield A beat Great A 12-5, and Eustonoff A. Unfortunately, were narrowly beaten by uh, University A 9-5. Um, Eustonoff would have been a pretty surprise victory over University A. Um, Eustonoff, bottom of the table, lost all seven games. Uh, but surprisingly tight there with uh, University A actually being second in that league. Um, I was going to do the men's badminton as well. All right, good. Uh, I I'm, haven't I'm, done that. I'm so going for the, for the you know slightly unique sports, I would argue. Badminton's not that unique. Yeah, it, it feels... Frisbee, yes. Badminton doesn't get that kind of uh, coverage. Which that, that, that is hockey, indeed true. Football, yeah. rugby, get so you know, and I got to report that Van Milder A thrashed St Cuthbert's B's nine uh, nil in the Premiership. Uh, Van Milder top with five wins from five. Uh, course to win the division. St Cuthbert's, however, look doomed. Must arrest their stump quickly, otherwise they're going down. Haven't got a point yet, and we're getting to that point now where <laughs> you actually—that's exactly what you need. Yeah, <laughs> you need a point or two. Indeed. Or and I thought I would enlighten you on the battle for promotion to the men's squash premiership oh, yeah. because um, something very interesting could potentially happen in the men's squash division one. We like interesting. Don't Indeed. We, well, speed. as for University A, I mean they've won the the title, so they're certainly going up. But it'll be very interesting to see who will join them. Trebs have played all 12 of their games. They sit on 24 points with plus 18 score difference. Collingwood C are just behind them with a plus 13 score difference. But if Collingwood C beat Cuth C 5-0, they will then have the exact same record as Trebs. So that's played 12, won 8, lost 4, with the exact same score difference for and against. So okay. what do you do then? Because, because then everything is totally um, even. A playoff. Flip, flip a coin. Flip a co- no, come on. It's, it's got to be a playoff, yeah. surely. I reckon they'll go with flip a coin. If, but they, it should be if a they do, I will be very disappointed. Daniel Reese will be in there telling uh, yeah, I'll Team be Durham forcing that them they onto the court. play properly. Have you got the uh, football premier? Because I, I was looking uh, at that and thinking, that's looking surprisingly tight. No, I don't. Which is good, because you can do it Because I've, I've got it just by accident. Uh, Collingwood C's beat Josephine Butler is 6-3. Uh, this week in St. Aidan's A beat St. Mary's A 4-1 and Van Mildert picked up another victory of a staff A uh, by three goals to one Van Mildert stayed top with seven wins from nine and um, you've got Collingwood A's and B's are only one point behind them uh, I think they've got a game in hand as well so that's that's quite an interesting one where you've got that dynamics between uh, obviously Van Mildert traditionally very good at football and of course you've got the Collingwood teams A and B you know who's going to win the title imagine if B's do I mean Dan- Daniel B's. and I have spoken about that on a few occasions Imagine the drama in the Collingwood College. Oh, absolutely, and imagine the humiliation. I know, the A-team. The, the I, mean, I mean, they should become the B-team the next yeah, year. Yeah, it's worse than being cuckolded, I mean, in sort of in traditional English literature. I mean, that, that, is, the, that is the sort of humiliation we're talking Free here. transfers, I would argue. <laughs> down swap, down the pyramid. Around. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking at uh, the Women's Rugby Premiership, there's also quite an interesting finish going on there, too. Uh, this is between Mildred and Cuths. Uh, three games left between those two sides. Both are 32 points. Both have played nine, won eight, lost one. And the game that each of them have lost has obviously come against one another. Um, so in terms of score difference, only 17 points separate the sides. So this could be very, very close indeed. Um, it's Mildred who currently 
hold that narrow advantage there. Um, both sides have quite a similar run-in, um, though Milder have to face third-placed Grey, so that might pose an issue for them. But my prediction is that um, both Milder and Cuts will win all three of their remaining games, and it will be decided on the score difference. Between the two sides, and who's superior at the moment? Uh, currently, Van Mildert. Van Mildert, um, okay. so but, but by seventeen, which in rugby is not that no, no, many not points many at all. Quickly switch, Garnet. So it's all—it's going to have to be all-out attack, I think, if Cuffs are going to want to overhaul Milder in the women's rugby. So a very, very interesting finish going on there, certainly. Uh, yeah, in the women's Fudlick Cup in the football, uh, we have news of a Hatfield victory over Saint Aidan's by two goals to nil, and Hatfield will progress into round three uh, and play Hillbead in that one. I think Daniel had that, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, this, right. is, this is working very well. It was working a lot better than the other week when both me and someone else had the exact same. Same it, notes. It was me and Hugo. We both did the exact same things. It was a little bit unique. Bit of a pickle, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I reckon we should now discuss the overall college tables. Um, um, what's to discuss? Collingwood are top, and that's that. Yeah, interestingly, points per student, though, is a bit of, oh, a bit of changes. Uh, Collingwood, obviously, top with 2.29. Uh, St. John's College into second place now with 1.66. Grey, 1.63. So it's very tight uh, between those three colleges. Van Milder at 1.4. Um, and that normally gives a better balance, of course, of who are the best colleges. I mean, John's have been struggling quite a lot, actually, this year uh, to, pick, to get teams out. But it's just suddenly uh, picked up and gone back into second place. Right in the middle of summative season as well. Absolutely. You know, that takes a lot of, a lot of ability. Um I'm just going to go uh, Houston North, our second bottom in the table. Sounds about right. 0.34 per student. That's, that's pretty poor points, isn't it? But they're not spring chickens anymore, these guys. You oh, know, they, they, they've got, you know, they've chosen to be another year at uni, probably for the academic side rather than the sporting side, I would imagine. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, before you go, uh, mm. I thought this thought today would open it up and say, what's your team of the week? Just looking up and down the tables, because I normally <sighs> come along and say, Oh, team of the week, college of the week, team whatever. Team of the week. I mean, you can, go, you can go with college of the week. What's in, you know what's? Uh, there was there was something very interesting, and I can't find it in my notes now, which is very very frustrating. No, notes just everywhere. That's I it. Think Littering it was, um, the desk. I mean, yeah, this is the environmentalist this would not be happy. With no, I know, and I haven't done. Right I, I've only printed one sided as well, which is very. very okay. I think. How about? I think we would then go for Trevs in the women's hockey division one. Um, everyone is battling beneath them for that other promotion place, um, but they have comfortably secured uh, promotion. So they will be playing in the women's rugby premier, uh, women's hockey premiership next season. Sorry, spot really on. put me on the spot there. That's so, right. Um, I thought, why not? Change it up. Yeah, absolutely. I would have done the same. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for You're that. Welcome. Uh, next on Sports Feed tonight, Ed Chambers will be joining me, Adrian Wadiov, in the studio to talk university sport. Do stay around on this Sunday evening. Go to Sportsbeat on Purple Radio. This is Purple Radio. Purple Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Purple Radio UK. Welcome back to Sportsfeed on Purple Radio, where Ed Chambers has slipped into the chair opposite me. Ah. And it means that we'll now be discussing university sport, because that's what Ed Chambers is employed to do here. That's what he's <laughs> an expert, uh, field of knowledge is. I mean, if he... Uh, what is your chosen subject? Precisely. If you, if you wanted to, you could go on uh, 
Is it Mastermind, is it? Mastermind, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Can you stop chewing that gum so loudly? <laughs> it's going Can you hear it? Yeah, it's going oh through Oh dear, that sounds really bad. Uh, so this week for the Platinets, 43 wins, 26 defeats, mm. and 4 draws. 4 draws. So that's what I'd say that's a pretty good week for the... Uh, for the Durham boys, um, I mean, really, I'm just, I'm just going to start with the big game, scrap everything else, straight hone in on the big news of the week, which was, of course, you know, if you, if you've been in Durham, you'll know about it, because it's impossible to miss the fact that Durham University men's first in the rugby, they went away. We talked about, we talked about it last week, saying, uh, it could be a difficult one, you know, if they get within ten points, it's a statement, they'll be happy with that. Well, they went, and they went and beat Exeter. Away on Exeter's home, on Exeter's patch, the back garden. They turned them over 31 28 with a 77th minute try. That's when Durham scored to take the game away from Exeter. Dramatic scenes, huge win for Durham. Exeter just lost just two of uh, two games all season and were 11 points clear at the top. And Durham have done the double over them. I know. It's incredible. Ed Chambers, are you going to say anything? I I actually, well, speechless. I was actually, you you were dealing with it beautifully. I was going to say that. I was I was just sort of um, while the game was going on, I, I, did, I did have a little check on Twitter, just sort of picking up the li- live feed. What was the score? The, the score at half time, it was a it was a complete turnaround. Like it's not only was this a, a ridiculous performance, but um, at half time, Durham were twenty one five down. So twenty one twenty one five down. So they were completely out of it. Uh, you'd have thought. I mean, and also such an intimidating atmosphere down at Sandy Park. A long, long, long journey. It's a proper stadium. Yeah, Exeter yeah, yeah. Chiefs play. 7.45 kickoff. Yeah. Light. A proper, proper game. And, and to be able to go... I mean, Exeter are just on a, a really strong winning run at this point in time. They're just you know, getting past anybody. Look destined to go to Twickenham. Yeah. The Platinates rock up. Well, actually, I don't think we quite did justice to the fact. I'd, I'd forgotten to mention that uh, kind of sort of stress the fact uh, that... that Durham have beaten Exeter at home mm-hmm. um, by 29 points to 28 right at the beginning of the season. Yep. But even then, you know, this this Exeter team has clearly developed like massively yeah. since then. So and they were uh, they were complete like force to be reckoned with in terms and of Durham away from home. And gone and beaten them. I mean, actually, I, I don't know how to synthesise it any more than to be. I'm absolutely shocked. Yeah. It's so so impressive. And actually, that kind of moment can, can define their season completely. Definitely. I mean, it moves them into fourth position, I think, right now. Uh, we said, um, we said, didn't we, that Durham had uh, an okayish running towards the end of the season yes. if we took the Exeter match out because we didn't think they were going to get much from that. Yeah. You know, the fact that they've managed to go away, get a win, you know, puts them back into. I think they're now into fifth place. That's their in fifth. Sorry, but they're, yeah. there's just five points between them and Bath, who are in second place. Yeah, and so they have that game in hand as yeah, well. Yeah, game in hand. Bonus points, of course. I mean, the chances for Durham are just... I mean, it could be, it could be yeah. huge, couldn't it? It's well pulled them right back into contention for definitely a home uh, home spot in the next round, of course, in the books. Um, but really, I mean, you know, could you, could you see them going all the way now? Well, what, one thing I would say which actually distinguishes them from... The, the, uh, we've talked about the fact that the, the table between sort of second and seventh is fairly bunched. There's 52 points between 42, games in hand and various things. There's a lot of circumstances which can play out, which make that makes that very bunch and quite compact. However, it's only Exeter. Exeter have lost four times, and Durham have only lost five times. We've talked about the fact they lack bonus points, but what that means is, in terms of knockout games, mm. they're massively ahead because they're so much more difficult to beat. Um, so that so knockout rugby definitely plays into their advantage because they're not the, they're just not the side as as we as we 
kind of touched on in some of our long commentaries down at Hollow Drift that they're, they're not, they don't particularly thrive in terms of putting loads and loads of tries yeah. past a team. But what they are good at is that getting head-to-head head in, in a big game. And they, they often, they're often coming out on top of these things. Yeah, I was going to say, is that that match we saw down there last Wednesday against Nottingham Trent was something of a bit, bit unique yeah. for Durham to run 48 points. Uh, we don't normally see that many points uh, from Durham. Uh, we'll get on to them in the books preview as to where they'll be heading to next week. Uh, in the golf, which obviously uh, Ed Chambers last week sat in that road chair opposite me and said, you know what, boys? They'll win. They'll beat the University of Hertfordshire. And they did, 5-1. Straightforward. I, did. I don't think I predicted a score this time, actually. No. I think I've uh, tended to go four and a half, one and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tend to go there. But, but uh, Durham comprehensively uh, <laughs> sweeping the board against Hertfordshire. Um, do we know who they've got in the next round? Um, I don't know if we do, actually. You can have a look there, Red. Um, made it three consecutive victories. They finished the season strongly. Uh, we talked about last week the Hertfordshire were in poor form, with four defeats of one draw. Um, and obviously lost their fifth match in a row or um, um, haven't won five matches um, and it, Durham are in a strong run of form so kind of expected result as yeah. we uh, discussed last week uh, moving on to the squash next game is away against uh, University of Stirling ah so yeah, I think we might have that in our uh, look in our books preview I mean we can talk about that anyway um, in the squash I thought we have a look at squash we talked about mm. them briefly last week uh, Durham men's uh, beat uh, University of Sheffield men's wands by five points to nil um, Durham this is done they've won the league now league I think season, yeah won their ninth game and well it's basically been a great season for Durham they've swept yeah. aside everything that they, uh, everybody else has tried to um, throw at them and they're actually in the second tier in that one so yeah. the, the first and the seconds of Durham are in the same league yeah. the seconds are in about third position I think so Durham back into the top uh, level for the region which is which is a really strong uh, season good to have a have the first team in, in uh, competing at the top level I think. yeah as it should be as well I think uh, yeah. Durham will have expected nothing less at the start of the season but that happened but you still got to get the job done it's alright saying you do. that from yeah, uh, you do. the Purple Radio studio but you've got to get it done <laughs> uh, in the uh, badminton I think <coughs> this is the women's actually we talked about them having to go away to um, tough match uh, UCL oh yeah we did the we did the um University tour last week when we talked yeah. about all those universities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately they drew four all, but uh, UCL won on points, so that ends uh, yes. Durham's championship hopes. Um, a Durham, oh. we always said we were always a bit concerned about this match because Durham, we say, were we said they were in uh, patchy form. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say that's exactly uh, what it was. I think I made a long sort of digression about how I can't predict badminton. I think I didn't on, on, on the show last week, and Probably. I think I think I went for a win. So. Oh dear. Yeah. Don't say it. Bit of a shame. Uh, the surprise, actually, probably the match for me this week was the Rugby League, which is in the trophy, where the Durham men's team played Edge Hill. And we were surprisingly beaten 24 16. Yeah. Um, Durham, as we mentioned last week, finished top of the Northern 1A division. Uh, and they played Edge Hill, who were in that same division, who were yeah. third, third. Uh, but knocked out in the last 16 stage. So that, was, for me, was a bit of a shock when I came across that. Yeah, uh, the other day. No, that's a good observation. I like that one. That, that's true. I mean, I've, I've just got this up. I mean, Durham, uh, eight, wins, eight wins, eight wins, two losses, hundred eleven point difference, twenty four points, comfortably uh, the winners of the league. But in the cup, well, I mean, maybe that's a taste of we're going to be covering cup the cup for the next sort of uh, three weeks of term. 
there's going to be a lot of upsets, I think, and maybe league league form is not going to be as uh, as important as mm. as we could suggest. Going to get some upsets. I mean, talking of league form, uh, I'm going to have to talk about football there. And the Durham men's team, we went to Cardiff. I did see this and got beaten by three goals to one. In, uh, I mean, we said last week Durham had a, an absolute shocking win in the league, uh, but Cardiff uh, Metropolitan University just won one game themselves all year. Yeah, and Durham had won two. Uh, and they've been turned over away, and it's just been an absolute season to write off. Season to forget, I think. Yeah. Durham, they've just. Uh, I've spoken to a member of that team who said, who said that they've just been unlucky. They haven't actually yeah. been that bad, as in the other teams haven't been, but much better than them technically. But yeah. obviously, small margins and all that in elite sport counts a lot. <laughs> counts a lot. Absolutely. Uh, going to the uh, women's squash in the trophy match that they played. Uh, they beat the University of Bath by uh, mm. three points to one and Durham into the quarterfinals with that, uh, that victory. Uh, moving briefly to fencing. Uh, yes, this was Oxford or Cambridge. 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 Um, and it's the Durham men's who uh, brushed aside Cambridge to move into the quarterfinals, but winning by 132 points to 77. Uh, Cambridge were always underdogs. They'd won just one game all season. Uh, but as uh, Ed Chambers said last week, that... Durham did like to specialise in losing close matches. That's true. Yes, we we, we we went through that. Um, yeah. This was not a close match, though, as he said. Yeah, pushed um, him aside. Cambridge, deep in summative season, having to make the trip up to Maiden Castle into Who, the northeast, where, where we're deep in summative season too. But well, less, we are less so than Cambridge. I, th- I think everything's relative, you know. But um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we predicted that one um, fairly. One hundred thirty-two. 77 I don't we don't know huge much about fencing um, which we've kind uh, of three different sorts I've Burton I've certainly uh, exhibited uh, across the show so far this year but I looking at the scores that we get in this is actually this is really really one sided a lot yeah. of them have been really really tight yeah 110 you can be something like that yeah um, in the badminton and this is Oxford University <laughs> yeah this is it I've got this written uh, the men's went to Oxford and made the uh, made the trip to that lovely city in the uh, in the south, relatively uh, good win for Durham. Um, Oxford were fourth in the Premier South. Durham fifth in the Premier North. Uh, but Durham went into this four games unbeaten, made it five games unbeaten with a relatively straightforward six-two victory over Oxford. Seems that way. I mean, well, it's all very well for us to say relatively straightforward, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, they're going to be sweating and it could have been <laughs> tight, but you know, from the scoreboard, you know. Do the, do the scores lie? The scores lie. That's always a good question. That's a good question. Well, it is. I mean, it, I mean, that's all we've got, isn't it? Really. I mean, we haven't got ringside seats in the uh, Ace and Ethicott Sports Hall down in Oxford, <laughs> so <laughs> we've only got the uh, only got the Bucks uh, Bucks website. But um, yeah, a really strong, uh, particularly with it being an away game. I think it's really impressive for for, uh, for Durham. Bertram Moores, for the first time tonight at half past five, is in the studio. Station manager. Yeah, I'm just going to give a uh, varsity score update between Durham and York. It's Very Durham good. York College varsity. As it stands, uh, clearly things are still trickling through, and we'll do a big proper review of it next week when everything's yep. come in. Durham are currently leading 34-23 against York, uh, and a few of the uh, recent results. So you get five points if an A team wins, and three points if a B team wins. It's a kind of unusual way of scoring okay. it, but that's how they do it. So Durham currently 11 points ahead. Uh, a few of the results that have been coming in. Uh, women's Football A, represented by Butler, uh, drew 0-0 in full-time, 1-4-3 on pens. 
Uh, in the B's in that equivalent fixture, John's lost 3-2 to York. In the mixed basketball A's, he'll be the representatives there. 46-45 win against York, so really, really close in that one. And in the B's, Butler also won 50-43. And also in the squash A, he'll be 1-4-0. So it looks like another victory for the Durham Colleges in the intercollegiate competition. To take back the title, which yeah. they lost last year. Yeah, apparently uh, York have... Uh, been sending a lot of fans up uh, for this event this week. Ooh. I've been seeing all sorts of people from York with uh, the white rose. Well, not with the white rose on, but with the uh, college varsity T-shirts oh, on yeah. in town. And uh, there was posts on my football club's uh, Facebook page saying, "Lads, we're being really outnumbered here. There's some people who've been here for several hours. We need to get the ultras down and support the boys." Oh dear. Thank you very much, Bertie, for that update. Uh, we'll keep abreast of that. And of course, we, as Bertie said, we'll have a big reaction to that next weekend Edward I just realised was, there was something I did write down that I wanted to say we had um, you, you did do some prep I, I did a little well a little bit a little bit just a little bit um, that um, we had Tilly Kidd in last week we talked yeah, about so. women's rugby we touched on we talked about the first we've talked about the first quite a lot uh, this year but also the seconds I, mean, I did mention that they had a, a game against Teesside as Durham women's rugby do 75 points to nil um, oh, I mean, stop it! Uh, this, that's, so that's back-to-back games where um, Durham have not conceded any points, um, and they've played eight games. The, the seconds, and they are sitting comfortably at the top of uh, the league. Can't yet call it a title win. I think I'm right in saying, because Newcastle behind them have got four games left to play. So I think they could still. That's a fixture pile up. If I yeah, they one. could still potentially um, win, but you know. not going to happen, is it? Come yeah, on, boys. I, I, I think I think we've made our own conclusions. And the listeners can draw theirs, but it's 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 been supreme domination, but at all levels of women's rugby, which is why it's such a success story, as we touched on last week. Absolutely. Um, speaking of success story, uh, Bertie Moore's, I hate to say it really, is right, and I don't say that very often. I mean, it's about once a year, about this time of year. What am I right about? Go on, enlighten me. He's buttering you up. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> <laughs> well, I wonder why. Um, Loughborough University have gone to the top of the uh, books. League tables, as Bertie predicted about three weeks ago. As I predicted, the uh, the swimming and athletics results have come through, so that clearly yep. is going to have a big impact. Uh, there's no chance of Loughborough being overhauled in mm. th- within the foreseeable future. There'll be people who'll be joining university now. They won't see that happen, I don't think. Do you think Durham are slipping slightly? I mean, actually, Durham, interestingly, are third place, and they're 600 points behind University of Nottingham. It's, it's very interesting. I think... Uh, I think if we're talking about why Durham manages to collect so many books points, or has done in the past few years, I think it's partly... Traditionally number two, though, in the list. Yeah. I think it's partly because uh, they've been very canny in how they bring in uh, scholarship players in certain sports, which I would argue are more straightforward to romp up the leagues in. So things like lacrosse, mm. and things like maybe water polo sports, which uh, although Durham might not have had a, a strong grip on in the past, like it has naturally done with hockey and rugby, it's easy to get people in. Uh, perhaps I don't know whether in certain sports their recruitment policy uh, has perhaps been a li- maybe a little bit short-sighted you could argue in terms of uh, how sustainable that model is if you're going to be bringing in a lot of scholarship players all the time but equally there's a lot of other universities which are not only growing in size in terms of their number of students but they're also probably getting more and more on top of exactly how to set up their sports teams, how to set up their sports clubs, and also bring in and attract the talent which, for many years, Durham has been able to do. I think that would be my assessment of it. Mm. Thank you, Bertie. 
Uh, it sounds as if he actually knew what he's talking about. It's then. interesting, isn't it? I, I just sort of, who are who are these this recruitment? How how does how is that? Who are these people that choose? Is that just through emissions? You think? Well, it's uh, to an extent because I see that I've been on the rugby website, for example, and they say that yeah. if they if, if you think you're good at sport, you should fill in this form and send it I, to I, them. I did, it, yeah. I did it for water polo right. and, and applied for stuff and was technically a scholarship athlete for my first three years here. How times have changed. There you go. But, uh, top it. but no, I think uh, Team Durham has very good links with the Central University and clearly the Central University places a lot on uh, the, so- the social aspect and the sporting and theatre aspect of the yeah. university. It's one of the things that they sell the university on. And I think those links which Team Durham have with Central Uni and... Uh, and the ability to arguably perhaps bring in scholarship players but also advertise the university for being a centre for sport is probably where uh, that relationship has really sort of paid dividends from a, from a book's point of view. And mm. After all, if, you're, if you advertise yourself as a sporting university, you're going to get more people who are going to want to go to your university. And I think Durham have, uh, have really taken that as part of their ethos and reason to apply to the university in the first place. Yeah, uh, that concludes our discussion of another week for Durham University. Pretty decent one for many of the Palatinate teams. You are listening to Sports Feed on Purple Radio with me, Edwin Mordio, where the time is 25 minutes to 6. This is Purple Radio. I never speak it, keep it a secret. It'd be peak if any geezer would hear it and then repeat it, so we keep it. Follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at Purple Radio UK. Already done with your digging, so your digging is bait, keeping it straight. Lots in too late, solve all the breaks, then we move on to the group, grabbing a song for the eights. Welcome back to Sports Feed on uh, Purple Radio. Uh, Ed Chambers has stuck around in the studio and will now make his predictions live on sports feed as to how he thinks the Durham University first teams will do this week in the books matches. He's now looking into his crystal ball. I mean he did do a pretty good job last week, uh, but we'll see how his predictions turn out this week. I'm getting better. You are getting better. I feel like my as you said, my specialist subject is becoming more and more refined as the year goes on. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. So I hear. Well so I hear. So I hear. Um I'm going to predict this one already. In the Squash Northern Conference Cup, I'm going to go with a Durham victory. Uh, the Durham men's play first team play the Durham seconds team. Right. That's why I'm going for the Durham victory. Oh, I see. Okay. In the semi-finals, which means obviously a Durham team are going to be in the final of the uh, Squash Northern. That'll Conference be a Cup. really interesting game. You would imagine think, you like know each other so well, like wouldn't you? Yeah. The banter. That'd be, but there'd be tension. Like the, the first will be under a lot of pressure. Presumably. Yeah, because obviously they are expected to win, aren't they? Yeah. Because then, what happens if they lose? You know, not very good, changes galore. Like all of a sudden, is the seconds the first, the first, the oh, second? That's what I was talking to Daniel about with college football and in the Premiership. You know, Collingwood A, Collingwood B. Who's going to win? I mean, mm. free transfers potentially here, boys. Yeah, no, exactly. They're kicked no. out. I remember when the Aiden C's were playing the Aiden D's, and I was, of course, watching on the bench. And I was remember thinking when Aiden's went one and when Aiden's D's went one nil up. Whoa, what, what happens if they win? Promotion for Chambers. Then I was on the bench. Yeah, yeah, but even so, you'd be on the bench for the C's. I could be, yeah. Then what happened? Did you win? No, I lost. Uh, yeah. um, right. I'm still on the bench for the D's. Nothing changes, is it? No. Uh, women's squash trophy match. They're at home to Bristol thirds in the next round of the cup. Bristol didn't actually win a game all league season. 
but obviously, and finished bottom of Western 1A division, but obviously did manage to get through to the next round of the cup. Mm. So whilst their league form is non-existent, yeah. uh, they did at least <laughs> get through the round of the cup. So uh, they beat uh, Sterling uh, Wands. Uh, Durham finished third in Northern 1A, but as I say, home to Bristol thirds. I mean, as you mentioned actually earlier, does league form actually matter? Discuss. Well, you've thrown me an easy one there. I uh, would love to start off. Does league form matter? Well, evidence, y- no. Yes and no. Yes and no. And I will argue yes and I will argue no. No, I think, I think obviously league form is, is, a, is, a rep- is a representation of how well the team are playing. But actually, sometimes when you're in the middle of a league season, there's potential things are getting a little bit stale, particularly if you're mid-table, like you spoke about the rugby league. Edge Hill, for example, mid-table. They're going to finish third. They're not going to finish second. There's not, nothing really much to play for. Then all of a sudden, you're thrown in on a Wednesday afternoon when you've been playing games which kind of think, oh, it don't really matter. That mentality completely shifts because you think, right, if we win this game, we're going to the next round, and you're out. And that surely psychologically has to be a big thing. So it does lend itself for teams that are struggling a little bit to find some, uh, find some confidence. Thank you very much. No, no pleasure. No, I, I mean, are you going to predict the result too? No, I think you took all that in as well. I enjoyed that. What, go on, what, what, predict the result? Yeah. Are you going to predict it? Yeah, it's a win. It's a win. Right, mm. okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, men's fencing. They're involved in their championship battle. They're away to Oxford uh, Wands, and it's, I would argue, the battle of all the big English universities going on. After, uh, as we mentioned before, the men's fencing team dispatched Cambridge. They've now got to play Oxford. Top three universities in the country, everybody. Uh, Oxford, finished, Oxford finished second in the Premier South, just three points from top spot. Uh, mm. Durham finished third in the Premier North. Where are we going here, boys? I'm expecting a close one, actually. But Oxford will be deep in summative season. <laughs> it's got to be a <laughs> consideration, co- isn't it? To coin a phrase well, from their I chambers. Mean, that I think, actually, as analysis goes, that's, that's quite good analysis, don't you think? I mean, uh, it's got to be a factor. I think we should ask the listeners. I mean... Durham are going to do. I think Durham are going to do the double on universities that the team members didn't get into. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, there'll yeah. be some people in the team who didn't get into Cambridge. Like, yeah, we've got going to show them. Going to show them. Going to show them again. Going to show what they missed. You know what? You should have had. You should have brought me in, and at least you would have won. I think that's important. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that must be a psychological factor. Yeah. Particularly. Surely. I mean, like, it's motivational, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. Certainly would get me going. Yeah. If you're playing against universities that you'd apply for, I think. Yeah. We'd Turn just lend yourself, you know, just a little, you know, a little mm. of an edge on it. Of course, so you want to do your best and everything, but you want to get one over on a bit of extra. Um, you're gonna predict that one or not? Yeah, I said we'll win. You, you just keep saying that. Yeah, you're gonna give us a score in the fencing, or you score in the fencing? Close one, or a bit more like Cambridge Durham. Well, it won't be as one-sided as the last game, I don't think. Um, I would have said. Well, they do tend to rack up from what I've seen. Um, as I just sort of stare at the wall. Sort of picking this out, but I do remember when I've when I've looked at the scores, they do tend to score around one thirty at Durham. That is the mark that they tend to get. Um, so maybe just over one thirty, one thirty three plays one fifteen. Sorted. That's it. Uh, Write it down. Men's badminton. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we talked about the fact that they are on a five match uh, unbeaten streak. They're actually going to face in the next round of the championship uh, the team that finished top of their league in the Premier North. Right. I don't quite know how uh, Loughborough got into the Premier North division but they finished top and oh they're no. playing Durham they're playing Durham right um, well they've obviously already played each other twice this season yeah so uh, I think it could be the end for it could be the end for the Durham's badminton boys 
What would and I'm just checking the uh, the results yeah, I was for, those, say, uh, for those games quickly. Um, yes. Can you more well, get Chambers? Looking four at all it. draw. Four all draw. Okay. Take that. And a six-two loss. Six-two loss. No, that's not diabolical. Have a loss. Have a draw. Could they ever win? Don't know. I. I, I mean, when when we I'm just looking at the table here now and uh, Loughborough. Eight wins, two losses in the league season. Durham, two losses, three draws and five. Uh, sorry, two wins, three draws, five losses. So that would suggest there's, there's, there's certain stuff about, about form, but there's less of a golfing, golfing um, quality. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there, Ed and uh, we don't really agree on much, so there we go. Uh, unique. Um, let's move on to uh, some turf that we, we like to think that we know our stuff. And this is, of course, uh, the rugby. And we're going to yeah. start with the men's, actually. Uh, they're home against Leeds Beckett at Hollow Drift on Wednesday night. Should we go? Uh, James and I are going to be down there. Yeah. A little Wednesday evening date. Uh, yeah. Burger? Yeah. Burger? Well, if they get, I mean, the burger we had last time was nice. Yeah, it yeah. was. Great. Good cheeseburger. Mm, last time. Very tasty. I mean, Morsey perhaps should be uh, come down, too. Um, Durham coming off the back of that fine way victory at Exeter. Yeah. Uh, Leeds in seventh, but only five points behind Durham. We've talked about how congested that table is. We have. Uh, Leeds themselves on something of a resurgence, having not lost since December the 5th. Yeah, and they had a 29-29 draw Cardiff Met. against Cardiff Met, which was... Uh, Dramatic, on, I yeah, assume. Pretty, well, one would assume, yeah. Assume. Um, I wasn't there. But, you know, so... Uh, no, no. I didn't, no. Get, get, didn't get the invite. Didn't get the invite. No, I know. Yeah. Obviously, I haven't heard uh, Ed Chambers and Purple Radio. They haven't heard my dulcet tones. It hasn't, hasn't quite reached... Uh, <laughs> Go on. Do you want to do you want to get that one in again? Oh. Turn your so mic it, on. It sends us to sleep. We know that. That's it. It does. Yeah. I, they haven't quite reached. Um, they haven't. <laughs> they haven't quite reached Yorkshire. Maybe uh-huh. I do my boycott oppression. The big hike. Big uh, hike. One county down. Yeah. I mean, the only the only kind of comparison I've really got between um, Leeds and Durham of late is the fact that. Uh, Leeds beat Northumbria 50-17 and Durham did lose to Northumbria so as actually uh, although actually Leeds Beckett as you say they, they are below Durham in the table they are one of the form actually probably, this is probably the two form teams mm. um, in that kind of middle pack so this will be it'll, I think it'll be a really interesting game it'll be a tight one um, but when I say the words tight and when we're talking about tight tight kind of game it kind of lends itself as we've been saying to, to Durham kind of Winning. Putting a performance together and winning. Um, I think there's a tough one to predict. I think both teams will score um, over 25 points. Do you think that many? Yeah, I do. I was thinking more of a 21-point yeah. affair. Okay, well, you you go for your prediction, okay. and then we'll, we'll go against... I'll go against. for a... Uh, I'm going to go with a Durham uh, victory yeah. by 23 points to 19. I like that prediction. I would. I'm going to go with... 30-28 Ooh, that's high scoring for Yeah, it's quite, it's quite high scoring but I think, I think, think it would be quite from what we've seen as these teams are in the form they're in they're playing quite attacking rugby so I expect that that will, uh, that will continue just flashed up the um, Carabao Cup scores yeah, on Bertie the Yeah, uh, Moores is uh, keeping abreast of all things Carabao Cup Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's still nil-nil a uh, new podcast called Still Nil-nil <laughs> is also available on Mixcloud uh, it's nil-nil at the moment 55 minutes gone uh, However, City have just had a goal disallowed. Sergio Aguero smashed it into the bottom corner, but uh, he's offside. John Moss apparently making the right decision there. It's looking like uh, 
City have got a lot of possession and a lot of the shots off. Chelsea only one shot so far, but could go either way. Still quality in that Chelsea side. Yeah, heard it's not a particularly a classic uh, League Cup final. And with it, with it being the League Cup final, uh, we're asking today, as we move into the national section of the show, uh, we're going to be asking, is the League Cup final worthless? Should it be scrapped? don't know. I think Manchester City would say not. Yeah, so uh, get in touch on the Twitter, get in touch via hashtag Sportspeed and contact us through at Sportspeed on PR or just whack us a message in the message board. We want to hear what you have to think. Still I don't know whether it's worthless, but it's certainly worth less. Yeah. Do you get what I see? Do you see what I mean? Like, what are you comparing it to? Well, uh, in, in terms of the other competitions. What, the football league champions? Yeah, it's not quite the Czech trade, Czech trade to- trophy though. No. Yeah. No. At an elite level, of armor conference. it's not. I mean, a, a win. As speaking as a Spurs fan, we've not watched won anything, won anything for a while, as was shown uh, yesterday with a bit of a devastating loss. But it's certainly, I think, League Cup. You'd still, you'd definitely take it, but it, you wouldn't take it in the same way you'd take an FA Cup. I, I imagine a Spurs fan would definitely take uh, a League Cup. Yeah, no, totally. I would totally. Yeah, we'll definitely have more discussion on this when. Uh, yeah, when we'll you yeah, get in touch. Your views. Let us know, and uh, and we'll. Uh, We'll reminisce and rant about the League Cup as it is. Yeah, quick one. Uh, I don't think we really need to have a prediction here. Uh, the women are involved again against Edinburgh. Uh, they're at home uh, on Wednesday evening, 5 o'clock, in Maiden Castle. Um, I think we know which way. Well, the rugby? Yeah. Women so, rugby Tilly Kidd said to me that this would be t- quite a difficult game. Um, I'm still going. But I, mean, I, mean, I mean, you can, you can, you can manage expectations all you want. It, it looks like... Uh, I just certainly could never predict against them. Never predict against nope. them. So, um, yeah, it would be a surprise if they uh, didn't come away with the, with the victory into the next round. And they're, they're, they're very driven to, to go all the way. And so uh, we certainly back them on that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I suppose uh, just a quick one looking at the hockey. Uh, the hockey, you've got a match against Cardiff Met. Uh, Durham eventually finished third in their um in their league uh, took a long time to get going but decent when they did Cardiff Metropolitan University meanwhile are rock bottom in their league with just one win in the South A group and I should think it would be straightforward enough so uh, is this men or women I didn't know what you said men men yeah so we, we talked about them at the uh, the end of the season they, were, they ended up finishing just behind the two Nottingham teams Nottingham and Nottingham Trent um, yeah so they were, they were on a decent run decent run of form um, they had uh, three wins in a row to end the season so can they carry that over into the into the postseason? Um, yes, they yes, can. Yes, they can. I think they will. I think... Um, who do you say they'll play? Cardiff Metropolitan. Cardiff Metropolitan. They're going down. Sorry. Making a long trip up. Three points to one. Three goals to one. Three goals to one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ed Chambers doesn't know which spot we're talking about. Yeah, sorry. I do. Um, I promise. Right. Fair enough. Uh, you're listening to Sportsfeed on uh, Purple Radio. Don't forget to get in contact with us if you've got to uh, react to anything that we've said tonight or something you want to say uh, the time is 10 minutes to 6 and next up it's going to be local football with Bertie Moores and George Genk this is Purple Radio Purple Radio Facebook and Twitter at Purple Radio UK. I'm Adrian Wadiab, and now I have opposite me uh, the returning George Genk uh, and Bertie Moores, who will be discussing on Sportsfeed all the local football. 
which has taken place over the weekend, including Winds to Newcastle and Sunderland. George, how are we? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Yeah. Listeners uh, have had enough of me already. They want to hear your <laughs> voice, George. Which is uh, taking a few weeks off from sports feed, but it's yeah. nice to have you back again. Uh, I'm had, a, sure. had a good chill this weekend as well. My parents came up, was at the spa for a bit, played a bit of golf, had a lovely time. So what? Some people I prefer the co-op, to be honest. <laughs> 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 That's actually spicy and good from Bertie. Uh, makes a change. Uh, I suppose we should start with yesterday's action for Newcastle. Uh, we spoke briefly last week's show. Um, George probably didn't hear it because he wasn't here. <laughs> uh, that massive game for uh, Newcastle this one was against Huddersfield. Um, a game they kind of had to win. They yeah. did win. They won 2-0. Um, I think it's fair to say, as we'll get on to about Huddersfield later, they've gone anyway. But it's a game that Newcastle had to win and they did win. Confidence booster. I think, yeah, 2-0. Yeah. Um, very easy win. It was made easier by, I think, sending off in the first 25 minutes, I think, to Tommy Smith, Huddersfield's captain, and just kind of took the pressure off Newcastle for their performance, but they could just really get going. It was good to see the new signing, Almiron, play really well as well. Yeah, Rafa really Benitez point, picked him out as a yeah. player with the right mentality to play for Newcastle and succeed at Newcastle. Yeah. Um, he didn't actually score. Uh, I think that was the only thing lacking from his performance, yeah. actually. He did everything well with, with the front three of him, um, Rondon and Perez. They can they can cause a couple teams a fair few problems, I expect, in the next coming games. And I think he's kind of that injection of kind of pace and a bit of trickery up top that they kind of needed, a bit of excitement to get around Newcastle, something to build off and kind of link pay up a bit more at the top. Bertie? Yeah, these are the games that we've expected Newcastle to win. In general this season, they have been winning these games that they've needed to. The City result aside, you know what you're going to get from uh, Newcastle. They're not going to get spanked by the good sides, uh, and they should very much compete against these uh, against these lower division sides. Huddersfield, 11 points in the season, but you've still got to do the job, like you said. Yeah. Looking at the way the table's shaping up, uh, Sunderland, lo- uh, not Sunderland, Southampton losing today. Newcastle getting a win. A lot of sides like Burnley look to be pulling away. It's looking more and more that Newcastle should be safe. Uh, yeah. They should have got three, well, they should have really closed out the game against Wolves didn't about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, they should be safe and uh, I'm just waiting for the conversation to switch from this, uh, why are we doing badly, is it Ashley, is it Ashley and Benitez, is it a combination of whatever, to straight back to right, Benitez's job has done his job once again with absolutely no players that have been brought in apart from Almiron, I'm not counting that as a massive summer uh, January spending spree, but it will s- quickly switch back to right, looking forward to next season. Is actually going to get. It's kind of just yeah. Newcastle fans just kind of have two conversations, don't they? It's either, you know, are we going to spend money or why are we doing so badly? But, uh, but it's probably because uh, they're both connected, of course. Yeah, they're both they're both connected. Uh, it, uh, I sort of understand where Newcastle fans are coming from. Uh, oh, absolutely, being a, a fan of a football club, which is in a similar situation in which uh, the club couldn't be sold until the the club needs safety in order for the owner to be able to get money from the club, but at the same time. How are you going to get safety if you have no investment into the club? Uh, if Newcastle look to be safe, it's going to be an interesting, again, another interesting six months as to see what exactly happens to the club. Because it seemed a near certainty last summer that Newcastle were going to be sold. Eventually, you imagine something will have to give, and it could be this summer. But they're doing it on the pitch just about, and they should yeah. be fine. Yeah, 29 shots, actually, in that match for, uh, for Newcastle. I think sorry. It was, I think it's important to just flag up um, a homegrown talent, 21-year-old Sean. Um, what's his name? Sean Longstaff, who won yeah. man of the match. Against, it would work. Yeah, first half. he played really well. I think most passes, most touches in the game. Just really impressive performance. It's nice to see kind of homegrown talent coming in for those kind of 
kind of side. Yeah, the uh, the Newcastle fans are very enthusiastic about him. Uh, I think uh, he's slightly in the mould of a Declan Rice style player. Yeah. Uh, mocks up a lot in front of the defence and really knows how to pick out a pass. So I expect to see a lot more of him over the coming year. Uh, interestingly, for Newcastle, it's their third successive Premier League win at St James's Park. And it's the first time that's happened since last April. And it's something we have spoken about on this uh, show before. The fact that Newcastle's run of form has not been particularly good. Bertie looks as if he's going to say something about that. <laughs> uh, no, no, it wasn't in particular. No, right. but uh, but yeah, they, they have they have found a little bit of form uh, in the time that you would most want them to find it. Uh, the last thing that Newcastle fans will want is for them to be dragged into a horrible relegation scrap, yeah. and it looks like it's not going to happen. Given the fact that there are enough bad teams in that division and two p- teams are already down, they should be all right at the end of the day. Uh, absolutely. Uh, moving now on to Sunderland, who uh, managed to s- managed to win uh, two goals to nil. They beat Bristol Rovers in uh, League One. Um, I mean, Aidan McGeady scored again. I think it was the highlight of the match, the free, free kick. kick. Yeah, I think definitely. And it was quite a big week for Sunderland. With a, on Tuesday they played Ginningham, had a four-two win there, followed by a two-nil win against Bristol, as you said. Yeah. And now they're just two points off the automatic promotion places behind second place Bar- um, Barnsley, and they also have a game in hand there. So it, it is a quite a big week for them. It looks to be really promising going forward. And if they continue this form, then they'll definitely be pushing for it in the whole season. It's, it's been shaping up as quite an interesting league this year. We know the mm. championship's always very chaotic, uh, but League One's also been very unusual in that Sunderland were obviously the side that were favourites to go back up for promotion. New owner, stable new side, uh, new manager, some decent young talent in there. Clearly, Josh Madger scored a lot of goals for them, and he's now gone off to Bordeaux. But teams like Luton coming in straight in promotion from from League 2 their manager went off to Stoke and yet somehow they've still managed to keep this pace going Portsmouth really really good start to the season they can't buy a win at the moment so Portsmouth have dropped out Luton have dropped in and Sunderland have just been sort of around there drawing a lot of games went for a rocky quite. patch arguably but looks as if they've got through the other they side quite a few draws recently yeah precisely two wins kind of stopped that kind of winless drought I think. and it looks if some of their January signings are beginning to uh, uh, improve a bit yeah. like yeah, Will Greg ho- got an assist for example uh, Josh Madger isn't going to be a player who's going to his uh, his departure from the club isn't going to have too much of, a, of an impact in the in the, in the the short term hopefully uh, but yeah as we've said in previous weeks and as James Barker our resident Macken's correspondent knows not so resident tonight <laughs> no he's not resident tonight uh, but he's been saying how uh, how there's a real feeling that it could define where the club goes in the next few months if they can get this promotion. If they get promotion, the wheels are turning again. They're a big club back in the championship. There's no reason they can't then push on from there. But you get stuck in League One, you can get stuck there for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick one on Gateshead as well, who uh, picked up a one-all draw with Wrexham in the National League. Wrexham going well at the top. Uh, Gateshead were in the uh, playoff places at the start of the day. Dropped to seventh, but uh, I think Gateshead were very happy with... Uh, Taking a point away from the from the dragons, um, I don't want to see them go up. To be honest, not <laughs> particularly big fan of Wrexham, living near there. Um, that's just a side point. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, big news really that's gone on this week is the draw for the women's FA Cup yeah. quarter final. Ah, yes. Uh, which everyone's been very excited by, and uh, Little Durham have been drawn against the current holders, uh, Chelsea Women's Football Club. Uh, I think it's Chelsea Ladies, I don't know how, how to pronounce it, but they've been drawn against Chelsea and they're going to play them on the 17th of March. Home draw at New Ferrand Park. Midday? Yep. Uh, it's it's thought that it, the tickets are going to sell out. Uh, it'd be really good to get everyone, just get as many people up there as possible, uh, but given the fact that the tickets might sell out, you've got to be quick with it. It's 
only a fiver for adults. It's two quid for kids. Well, uh, it'll be a really good uh, day. It'll be there's a whole lot of internationals in that Chelsea side, and uh, Durham will not be the favourites of this game at all. Uh, but at the end of the day, this go is, and cheer uh, the girls on. One of the real tentpole events for the club over the past few years, and no doubt we'll be there providing some commentary, getting some interviews. So I imagine because of the prep that's going to be required to go into that. Uh, the uh, football podcast will go on the back burner for a little bit because we've got a limited amount of time. But yeah, we're going to be there. We hope to see you all there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can only echo what Bertie's just said. So positive uh, weekend for the teams in the northeast. Uh, long may it continue from the fans' point of view. You're listening to Sports Food and Purple Radio, and we're heading up towards six o'clock on this uh, Sunday evening. Uh, and uh, next, we'll be entering the second hour of the show, and you'll be hearing what's coming up in just a few seconds' time. Follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at Purple Radio UK. Already done with your digging, so your digging is bait, keeping it straight. Starting too late, sample the breaks, then we move on to the crew, grabbing that sample at eight. You're listening to Sportsfield on Purple Radio, and if you've just joined us uh, tonight. Daniel Reese has uh, updated on the college sports news as many of the leagues get towards their business end. Uh, also tonight, Ed Chambers and I discuss the importance of Durham Rugby Men's Bonds win away Exeter and how that could shape their season with games running out and the road to Twickenham very much at the forefront of players' minds. George Geng, Bertie Moores have given their opinion on what Newcastle's victory over Huddersfield means for the Magpies and indeed Sunderland's victory over Bristol Rovers which puts them back into contention for promotion back to the championship if you, have, if you have a view about any of what we've discussed so far please do get in touch with us via twitter facebook email or via the uh, message to studio on the purple radio website and still on the way on sports feed tonight the team will be reviewing wales wales victory in the six nations busy old weekend in the football and a windy's victory in the cricket do stay listening as we still have more plenty more to come tonight this is your home of the sport my major warrior and you're listening to sports feed on purple radio Evening boys, how are we? Not too bad. Well, George is delayed, he hasn't, he hasn't yeah, moved anywhere. <laughs> uh, but Daniel is uh, back, back in the studio. Just trying to be clever, but it's not working. Little tech. Um, so, uh, big news in the Premier League, of course, is Claude Puel being yeah. sacked. Daniel, I'm sure you want to get your teeth into that. I can only see it. Yeah, I, mainly because I was so disappointed, actually. I was very, very disappointed. Although I wasn't, in the, I wasn't really surprised because... Um, their form has been quite bad lately. They've lost six of their last eight games. Um, and I think, I suppose, one of the disappointing things about seeing Puel go was that he had such a nice voice and such a French accent. But that's really a personal thing. I think Leicester fans, Leicester fans probably are perfectly happy to see the back of him. 
um, because they didn't particularly like his dual personality. Um, and as um, George and I were actually discussing just a few minutes ago outside the studio, we were wondering if Claude Buell's face really ever fit um, as Leicester manager. But I think it's important to look at a lot of the good things that Puel actually did. Um, he improved the squad with uh, some of the signings and helped sort of limit the damage that the loss of Mares could have done to the side. And, and other important people as well. He was very much he inherited that post Premier League victory side almost, and he's kind of sort transitioned of. them out. Yeah, and I think a couple of players, of course, did leave um, following um, following their success in the Premier League, like Conte, like Drinkwater. Uh, and but then a couple more since then have sort of aged or left. Um, Morgan and Simpson are sort of. Um, you know, sort of being faded out of the f- uh, out of the squad, and obviously they lost Mares last season. Um, and I think, you know, following that, what Puel's done is that he's he's brought in Evans and Madison, Pereira, Ward, all of whom I think have been pretty shrewd acquisitions. And I think, generally speaking, they do have a very young squad. And the average age of the side that faced Spurs a couple of weeks back was just 24. So Puel has helped bring, you know, quite a lot of young players and homegrown players um, through in the Leicester squad. And I think that's something that's definitely worthy of, worthy of, you know, admiring, I yeah. think, as far as, as far as I'm concerned. And in, in my opinion, I just, I think it was coming. I just didn't think mm-hmm. that Puel was the right fit for a club like Leicester. I heard some interesting thoughts on Five Live today talking about the sacking. And I think they had Robert Huthon, who ex-Leicester player, won the title with them. And um, he was saying that, he was very calm and measured when he came, and there was a lot more kind of standing around the training like pitches and talking about what was going on and really thinking more. Where, whereas they had all these young, talented players that were very kind of had a lot of energy, and that's how they used to play with Vardy up top, running behind. And I think it was just a poor fit for the club. And I think it even came across with like when you compare it to Ranieri, who was kind of all witty in press conferences. It's in stark contrast to Puel, who's very kind of methodical and guarded sometimes almost yeah. boring at times but he yeah. gets his points across and I just think there was a slight lack of cohesion between the club and the manager for that in style Leicester's still in 12th place and, and they're now looking for their fourth yeah. permanent manager in 23 months I, I mean it's, uh, it's yeah. a bit of a revolving door at the moment you're right in terms of looking at their looking at their um, position in the table but you know they should be you know challenging for seventh as far as I'm concerned with with the squad that they've got yeah. and I think I think what has gone against Puel lately has certainly been their f- their poor home form they've only won twice at the King Power since December in fact they conceded the first goal in almost every single match they, they I think it's yeah. 19 games yeah it's a the record yeah, isn't it record, which, yeah. which is yeah they start so slowly in so many games so you're always behind them the word goal and they're all, always chasing and I think even though they were a little bit unlucky to go behind to Palace yesterday with um, Batshuayi's deflected effort I think in general um, the in general, the performance <laughs> was poor. In general, the performance was poor. Absolutely, and I think, but he's also been undermined a bit, in my opinion, by some of the senior players, um, particularly Vardy and Schmeichel. Vardy sort of insulted Puel um, on camera uh, after after the game at, at Manchester United. So that's why he didn't start against Spurs. And of course, um, Schmeichel used his dad as a mouthpiece to voice his criticism of the squad. Um, when Schmeichel came out, Peter Schmeichel came out and said, um, when they get their act together, they're actually quite a good side. And, you know, that's obviously coming from, from Kasper, you know. No, no, fair enough. So, so th- I mean, the fact that he's being undermined by senior players as well, I mean, that never yeah, is going well. to help your cause. I mean, moving on to actual potential future managers, I mean, well, the obvious name in the room yeah. has got to be Brendan Rodgers at Celtic. He's come out after his, I think it was the game today, in the post-match yeah. press conference saying... 
these focus on Celtic. Of course, that's always how they come out. Isn't that's the it? media so response to such questions. Stock answer to those kind of questions. I mean, so it's been building throughout last two weeks probably. Yeah. That speculation mm-hmm. that Rogers may come south of the border. And the yeah. other gossip was Benitez, interestingly. But I, I, I well. think he will see his contract out at Newcastle. Was it? It was actually named that crossed my mind when we were talking about Newcastle, actually. But I don't know if he would make. But as I was saying, Are they that different, 15 from 12th anyway in the table? I mean, can't I'm not too sure. I think are Leicester that much better than Newcastle? Yes. I, I, I would say comfortably are. better. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle, you know, frequently scraping by. Whereas, you know, you've got Leicester who this season have beaten the likes of Man City yeah. and Chelsea and have put in some very good performances against other sides in the top six. Um, my guess is that the um, Leicester hierarchy will probably go for someone in the continent that hasn't really uh, who we haven't really heard of mm. yeah I, I think they'll my guess is they'll go for a left field appointment I mean they're not going to yeah. bring in Sam Hardice they do tend to be more unusual people yeah I mean Ranieri was, was an odd was, was well, almost unheard of an, really yeah but mm. unheard of Ranieri country. well he had managed Chelsea oh yeah of course <laughs> Yeah, 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 but yeah, that yeah. was in the days when the <laughs> every other you're only a every kid. <laughs> every other week they got a new manager. Um, but I do think they're going to look to bring in someone with a bit more energy. They're going back to Ranieri and that wittiness, and I think with get mm-hmm. Evan Granton, why not? People kind of like Rogers as well, who are playing attacking football with energy. They're going to look to follow that kind because of it would suit the squad. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there. Uh, in the Carabao Cup final, 76 minutes gone, and still Chelsea nil, Manchester City nil. It looks as if we're heading towards. Penalty shootout eventually. Is it is it straight to penalties or uh, I think there is an extra time. Yes, right. yes. Uh, another big piece of news, obviously from the Premier League yesterday, was Spurs' defeat by Burnley Missed by two goals to one. Big opportunity there. We were talking about this. Spurs um, could have gone within two points of the top with, spot. I think two points. Yeah, or three. Yeah. Oh, well, it would have been three points by the end of today. Right. Yeah, which would have you know, and that the, they. You know, the finish, argument is yeah. still are they in the Premier Premier League title race or aren't they? Um, if you're three points off the top at this stage of the season, then you absolutely are. But, um, I mean, that was a, a disappointing and sort of unexpected defeat in a way because Kane returned and he scored and he they scored. lost. But, you know, this is a Burnley side who are really improving. Um, eight games uh, unbeaten now. This is actually their best run in the top flight since 1966. So, I mean, th- this is impressive stuff as far as Burnley are concerned. Um, but this is the sort of side that you'd expect Spurs to be. It's the first time they've lost to a bottom side team this se- uh, ah. bo- uh, bottom half team this season but well, they don't draw so uh, it's either win or lose um, but that that was certainly I think in gen- generally speaking a bit of an anomaly as far as the Spurs are concerned opportunity yeah and I think you could tell that with Pochettino's uh, reaction yeah. at the end of the match where yeah. he went out to confront Mike Dean justified uncharacteristic certainly I think it's just evidence there that he knows that Spurs' opportunity potentially this year, and they've kind of blown it. I, I, ne- I never like the sort of immediate finger-pointing excuses which seem to come out with some stuff. Uh, you've lost two-one away at Burnley, a result that you really should be winning, and you're complaining about a corner decision, right or wrong. It's the sort of decision which is often got wrong because it's a lot of, lot of the times quite difficult to judge. Mm. And also, you still got to defend that corner at the end of the day. He's not directly led to that goal. A lot of finger-pointing. I, I think it does show the kind of frustration with almost the lack of the involvement I suppose, that has been going on at Tottenham the fact that they can't get these wins that are so stable of a title winning side and I think it's just a kind of theme for how their season's been going that frustration has just been building and building about the fact they're yet to reach the heady heights of 
kind of um, City and Liverpool in challenging for the title. Absolutely. Uh, back to the League Cup. Uh, earlier in the show, uh, we asked you for your views on whether or not the League Cup should be scrapped. Uh, I'll get on to my view in a sec. Uh, but here oh, I've got an interesting views. opinion as well, so we can debate about that. Uh, Kobe oh, and Johns, he says, <laughs> pointless competition, even the mid-table sides play weakened teams. Uh, they're the sides that used to, used to make it mean a lot, and if they don't care, what's the point? Uh, shout also to Alana, who says, as a Borough fan, the European runs that result from the League Cup are so great for those sides, not in the top four. Keep it. And Phoebe from Grey, silverware, silverware, the only people saying it's rubbish are those whose sides haven't won it yet. Fair Woo. points all round. Well, uh, sorry to have to plug this, but speaking as a Birmingham City fan who was at Wembley, you know, eight years ago to the day, um, uh, you know... I, the thing, the thing about the League Cup is, okay, yeah, fine, you get the European run. That, that is, that is a great, great thing. But what I would also say is, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's, it's to, to go and watch your side at Wembley in a cup final. It's massive. It's a massive experience for a fan. You know, to eat FA Cup final or not, you've got a day out at Wembley with forty-five thousand other supporters of your side. It's, it's. You know, absolutely worth keeping. And um, I think I was, I was having this discussion with Ed like the other week, and you know, I was I was criticising the League Cup, and I've got to say, you know, he, he did win me over really. Um, you know, and I think having actually been able to go to a cup final and, and experience, you know, beating a very good side in Arsenal, I, w I wouldn't have it any other way, unless, of course, if you want to spice it up a little bit. I would make it um, a British League Cup, so you have Scottish teams in as well. You just stole, to sort of you stole in my you stole in my view. Oh, That's really? what I was going to say. Oh, but because you know, I was, I was very, Celtic, I was very lucky because we I finally agree on something. I, I went to see <laughs> Aberdeen versus Burnley back in July for a Europa League game. It was great, and it was just post League Cup, of course, uh, post World Cup. So sort of all the Burnley fans were chanting England, England, and then all the Aberdeen fans responded with uh, Flower of Scotland, and I think. That is the sort of atmosphere that you don't really get a lot because England and Scotland hardly ever play each other, either nationally or, what's the word I'm looking for, in the league. See, see, for me, it's just a bit of a stale tournament. If you made it a British competition, a bit, yeah. you could have various qualifying stages and do it off the basis of oh, where like, teams like Ballatown, Airbus UK, they're not going to be quite competing with League Two sides even at that point. If you just find a way of having qualifying rounds or seeding it so that certain sides come at different rounds, Northern Irish League, Scottish League, Welsh League, it spice it up a little bit and you might as well have a go with it because Celtic are forever complaining that they don't have anyone else to play against. So at least from that point of view, make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, to add on that point, you know, the Scottish teams, the weaker Scottish teams that will go up against the English teams will be absolutely desperate. To, to claim an English scalp. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I think so that, that sort of plays into the underdog idea of Scotland versus England. Um, and, you know, Scotland also always sort of defining itself by its peripheral status compared to England. Um, I, I think it would, it would inject the League Cup with some much-needed sort of spice, even yeah, though I think, yeah. even though I think it's... A, a, Pretty good tournament. I think you can make it better. I, think, I agree. With it. I think that it's. I think that part would bring the emotion back to it, which I think is lost for it. I mean, it's purely a footballing exercise for a lot of teams at the moment. League Cup, and even though it might not be um, the, the teams that Premier League sides put out, may still not change. It would add that kind of. It's 
grudge match type kind mm-hmm. of attitude to it all, which I think is missing over the last couple of years. It, it would have to start a lot earlier, I think, because if you've got more teams participating, you would probably, by extension, need more rounds. Unless you well, that's up for authorities beyond us. Yeah. That's yeah. fair to say. Uh, <laughs> but I've got but we'll to put in a good word for it. Absolutely. We have two Manchester United fans in here, so I've just got to say, good result today, George. I'm chuffed with it, really, yeah. But, uh, having seen what's gone on with all the injuries as well, when I saw what happened after 25 minutes with a midfield of Pereira and um, McTominay, I was a bit worried that we could get completely walked over as, it, as the game went on. But we managed to hold out, and it's just boosting Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's claim for the job. And I yeah, think it's uh, almost a no question now that he will get it. I think it's been no question for a bit. Does it show the w- does that performance today show the weakness of Liverpool to an extent? I think it couldn't quite change it up when they needed to. Yeah, I think if you um, said to both sides, would you take a point after it? They would have they would have been open to kind of taking that point. I think it's just the I way that they Liverpool have wanted three though. Really, I would really say I would s- away from home. They know yeah. the city are right on the back. Interesting of for Bertie. I think pre-match both teams go. We'll take a nil-nil. Yeah. Uh, as I said in the studio before the show sorry um, I said that as the game went on I would say that Liverpool have wanted all three points yeah. the way the game played out the fact United used all three in substitutes by 40 minutes Liverpool think, probably should have won that I would be disappointed with um, almost the way they played as well like you said they would have taken maybe a point before the game but I think if, if it was going to as it was nil-nil they should have performed a lot better if they, if they you can always see the reactions of full time as well which I saw I which Liverpool were very Underwhelmed by it. Yeah. What I'd add to that is, is, is not so much the fact that you know that they, they, they that the squad isn't quite good enough, as you sort of insinuated a few minutes ago. I mean, what I what I would say is that this is a Liverpool team who, from what I can see, are starting to feel the heat. Uh, they're starting to crack a little bit under the pressure, and the pressure is very very intense because um, they they don't normally challenge for the title, and, and when they did challenge for the title in the thirteen fourteen season, they were. They, they slipped they, up. They were three wins away. They it, slipped up. Three wins away. And, um, you know, if they'd yeah. won those three games, they would have won it. And, and I fear that it's a little bit of a different case this time because they're leading and being chased rather than being the chaser, so to speak. But I think I think that is that C- pressure C- is, is getting to them. City, you just feel, will be relentless. Things I can see City beating United in a Manchester derby. A couple of games away from the end of the you, season. You can imagine the Liverpool training uh, every single game. You can imagine Liverpool dressing room being like, "Lads, we need to win this game. We need to win it." Whereas Man but City were going C- to win it. But yeah. City, they'll go in. They'll be like, "Right, if we do our game plan, we'll win it." I feel that it's been very, very interesting. While we're still on football, very quickly, I found out this week uh, at a uh, talk of a Collingwood, uh, the Vicky Sparks, the uh, the BBC Sport commentator, the first ever woman to commentate uh, on a World Cup game in Britain, uh, is in fact a Purple Radio alumna. Really? Yeah, she uh, she about ten years ago uh, used to ho- host her own uh, sports show, and uh, so we're following in the footsteps. So that's the professionals, which is nice to know. Uh, so hopefully, gives us uh, some hope. <laughs> she'll be able to pop into the studio at some point. She still lives locally. Very very knowledgeable, very inspirational talk. She's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, we, we, I did we, not we've had know a that. Follow in now, we're following in professionals' <laughs> footsteps. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Bertie. Thank you very much, guys. That concludes our discussion of national football. Uh, for another, another week uh, next up we're going to be talking rugby George and I will be and that will be after we've heard the thoughts of uh, the Welsh coach Warren Gatland that's coming up next on Sportsfeed on Purple Radio This is Sportsfeed on Purple Radio
finished incredibly strongly. We worked, we went through some pain last week in terms of how hard we trained, and the message to the players was, uh, you know, there's no way anyone else is training this hard, and um, and that, I think that paid off dividends. And dividends not just from the physical point of view, just from a mental point of view. The improvements in the performance that we said would come was was really important. Um, you know, we've been very real about. Um, how much we needed to improve, and I think we did that in, in large parts today. Um, as Gat said, there was a couple of things where you know you, you can't really give uh, a team like England uh, that opportunity. Um, and we, we showed that up in the second half, and, and like I say, got the result. Yeah, well, they deserve to um, celebrate its um, some performance and uh, you know, territory and possession. I thought uh, the work we've done in terms of our aerial game, knowing how much they were going to kick the ball, I thought we're absolutely outstanding in the air. Um, and I thought tactically we were really smart too. Um, they, they didn't expect us to come with a pick-and-go strategy in, in the 22, and, and that definitely caught them out by it. We can uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks and start start focusing on, on Scotland. Uh, but we spoke, spoke in change rooms about, you know, we've done the hard work now and we've got to, you know, go up to Scotland and and um, and, and play them, which they've been very tough to beat up there and, and try and win this championship. And, of course, they were the thoughts of uh, Alan Wynne-Jones and Warren Gatland after that uh, quite remarkable uh, rugby match that happened yesterday in Cardiff. Um, it was, a, a, well, I suppose a very good game. I mean, I didn't actually watch any of that, but I, I listened to uh, almost the entirety of it. And uh, the BBC reporting it was a stirring second-half display to crush yeah. England's hopes, and it definitely felt like that. Um, from my perspective, those thoughts were... Obviously, England went in, was it 10-3 at half-time? Yeah, 10-3, yeah. And it felt very much as if England had missed opportunities to really extend a substantial lead in the uh, in the first half, really. Um, I think they could have... They had a lot of pressure. They had a lot of possession, I thought. They played some really quite nice rugby. Yeah, once again, quite a lot of flair well. to it, precisely. And I just felt as if the longer it went on, the more Wales came into it. And certainly, um, the last 20 minutes of that second half, barely heard the commentators talk about England at all. It was all Wales, 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 Wales coming forward. And you just knew that England were going to break at some point. And I think it's important to mention like uh, momentum in that kind of instance. Where in rugby games, momentum can change it massively, especially with Wales' home advantage at Millennium Stadium. Momentum just kept building over that second half. And it just resulted in a fabulous like kick try to win it for them, well, seal it for them. And it was such an occasion. I managed to watch the whole game... Um, during my college bar fest, and so <laughs> well, the atmosphere was quite incredible there. I was, I'm, I'm half Irish, so I was supporting the Welsh team yesterday, and there was a couple of us dotted around, and we were absolutely loving it, and we were making all the noise, and it was, it was a great watch because it wasn't the best rugby game I've ever seen. No, absolutely it not. Just there was so much. It, it felt like such a huge occasion, and it's so, it's all, it's like halfway through the Six Nations. It's not even. Well, I guess every game of Six Nations can be make and break, make or break, and it really did feel like that because Wales continue to extend their unbeaten run now now Ireland are back in it now it's a truly three horse race between England Ireland and Wales and it could even go down to points difference or yeah, I mean, bonus points away. it's going to be a really really hard if, title if, if we're going to be really critical from an England perspective and you know, Eddie Jones will say that missed opportunity etc etc um, England haven't quite found the levels that they did in the opening day against in yeah. Dublin against Ireland you know it was a bit of a step down especially second half against France mm-hmm. and then it very much felt no, reminiscent potentially of uh, potentially of uh, last year, 
where England uh, started well in the in the first half and then uh, kind of slipped second half. Uh, they started strongly. A lot of the games very started the a lot of the games very quickly uh, last year, and it felt very similar yesterday where they came out of the traps. They blew Wales backwards, but didn't quite convert that pressure, and eventually were found out. I mean, only scored three points in that feel, second half. I feel that was the difference as well. The way they started in the last couple of games has been crazy. They've, the teams haven't been able to stop them. Like the prime example was in the Ireland game, where I almost thought the game was won mentally in the first mm. kind of 20 minutes when they just came out of the blocks out of nowhere. Just Ireland went, I don't like, know how to play it. Yeah, almost. we haven't played an England team like this for a year. Like, what, what's going on here? And I think that wasn't there yesterday. They missed some early opportunities. Of course, they scored. They were leading at half-time. Yeah. But usually they're leading a bit more than yeah. that at half-time. 20-odd so points. Yeah. yeah. And I feel as if uh, Welsh, the Wales uh, replacements were so good. I mean, Dan Bigger oh. came on and what just took to the game on. by the scruff of the neck and didn't even let England in with a sniff. And, of course, got yeah. the final try, basically, uh, away. So um, I, just on Dan Bigger, I've been watching him a fair bit because I'm a Northampton Saints fan. Northampton, yeah, Saints fan. And... Um, he hasn't been playing amazing rugby like kind of since a couple of years ago. He was playing amazing for Wales, starting at ten. But you can always count on him to, on those big moments, just be a safe pair of hands and just bring that extra edge to a side, especially in these huge Test games. He always, always rises to an occasion like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so Wales still on for the uh, still on for the Grand Slam. I know. Yeah. I know they play. I think it's Ireland, isn't it, on the final day in Cardiff, so. yeah, which, which is going to be huge. Well. Could be potentially uh, time to deciding. Yeah. Although, interestingly, I think bonus points may play quite a large part. I think there's going to have to be have to get your card carry out. Uh, of course, of course, sure. England play Italy, which and they've been in a situation before where they've had to run in seventy odd points and they haven't quite done it. Yeah, but you can see England picking up at least one bonus point. Well, if they play how they played against kind of Ireland mm, and France, nice. and that's like they could they could touch seventy points. But having said that, Italy played against Ireland today. Ireland and did get the bonus point, but of course Wales didn't play get the bonus point, did but they? Yeah, just on Italy's performance, yeah. I'm saying they played quite well today. They were leading at half time. I think it was sixteen thirteen at half time, and they played some really really attractive rugby. I was, I was watching it in preparation for the show, kind of just making some notes. And they were they were running all over the shop. I think what was it? Their I think Hayward, I think his name is their fullback, and he was making. I, I want to see his stats because he made so many breaks from kind of kicks and like chases and always offloading. There was always continuous support. I mean, what I guess the point you're trying to make at the end of the day is the fact that uh, the fact that England may not find it that easy. Yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's yeah, exactly what I'm in that final at. game against Italy it, it uh, to really run in the number of tries they may potentially need to in order to overhaul yeah. Wales. Because I think as every game goes by, this is Italy's twentieth. Um, 20th game without a win in the Six Nations, 20 consecutive losses, and I think coming to an end soon, can't you? Though? Uh, well, today, I thought it was to be honest at half time today. I, I always trusted that Ireland would grind the win out because that's the kind of side they are. They have so much experience in those situations, but I feel like it's only adding to their kind of emotion that they need to get this win back. But it does depend on what Italy side comes out. Like today, the side that came out was different to kind of the one against Wales, where they were making a couple errors. That what ultimately led to their downfall with Wales not playing that well, whereas today it was more Ireland making errors and Italy just being fairly solid, apart from maybe the, towards the end of the game. But you feel they always kind of hold themselves back from being good because they play some amazing rugby sometimes, lots of running rugby, offloading, but their error count always seems to undermine them. So if they if they are the Italy of old, then England could run away with it. I, I England will win the game, I'm pretty sure, but 
it just depends on what Italy side comes out on how many points England can get really that's what I'm saying yeah um, just a quick update on the Carabao Cup final yeah. which is heading to uh, extra time it's finished nil nil there um, not the greatest of games it's certainly got better as the game's gone on but not one to remember anyway uh, <laughs> back to the Six Nations quickly um, obviously France Scotland Scotland yeah. a lot of talk about beforehand the 20 year you know, long wait for them to finally break their Paris you know, demons almost a lot mm. of People say Scotland could do quite well this year. One win from three matches feels very much as another opportunity gone. I feel like we talk about this every almost every other week. Yeah, and I, I when it comes to Six Nations and with regards to Scotland, who mm. are always kind of the nearly men. To be fair to them, it's it. This game came at a tough time for them with all that talk as well. They lost really key players in Finn Russell, yeah. Stuart Hogg, and even Hugh Jones, the centre, who's been playing amazingly for club and international level. And it, it came at a time where France kind of rolled back the ears and we're playing like old French sides with flair even Matthew Bossero who's about a 20 stone centre with um, chipping and collecting his own kicks kind of in play and it was just the French flair was amazing to watch some of their tries a disallowed try was amazing yeah like, I agree yeah they're amazing I think Scotland are always talked about as the nearly men and it was I, I mean it could have been so many more if they yeah I think they Scotland were craving yeah but they were craving an Italy or some, or someone like that to play against at this point in time mm. and they just haven't got that and they're kind of their disappointing form not I guess it's not too disappointing because they played okay but their disappointing results were just compounded by this the problem is they would I get the France. performances they're putting in are not adequate you know of the result they're getting yeah. you know they're playing better than results would suggest and of course um, I think it's a week off isn't it now but then mm. the week after they're playing um, England aren't they at Twickenham yeah. so that's not exactly the match but I think that almost has to be taken on its own because that's always a hotly contested mm. game. It's always a grudge match and it's always, are Scotland going to do it? Are England going to hold them out? That's always the narrative before a game like that. And I think Scotland almost got to forget the fact they've lost these couple of games and just remember that they've been playing really good rugby. If you go back to was it the World Cup where they were kind of really unlucky to lose to Australia in the semi-final, yeah. like, that's where their form has all started from. And if they can get back to that running rugby, that attacking rugby where they used to just be outscoring some teams maybe not winning but at, like really in scoring tries it. Chance, yeah. isn't it and I, if they just tighten up that defence against England stop them scoring and go into the second half ahead but just maybe not, not well, losing by well, a lot I was going to say even you know, within five almost because England yeah. do tend to try and wrap up games in the first half almost yeah that you can definitely see them having a chance with a couple quick tries and I really hope for their sake they get kind of Finn Russell Stuart Hogg back I'm not sure on the extent of their injuries I think Finn Russell may be only a minor concussion injury think but maybe Stuart Hogg might be out for a bit longer but if they get some of those key players coming back then I think that is of paramount importance for them and I th they could they, they, we always say this about Scotland they could always challenge they could they always have a chance but we're just waiting for that game and they actually do do it really I think uh yes absolutely I mean um I think former Scotland prop Peter Wright was saying that you know Scotland almost the worst enemies a lot of them his tries come from Scottish mistakes yeah that's a bit harsh on France uh it was yeah France played like the tries they scored were unbelievable yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose we should look ahead for two weeks' time. Quick prediction, perhaps, we'll for the uh, England the Scotland. England Scotland. I see England winning that. I see Scotland putting up a good fight, but I think England on the first two games their form a massive turnaround in form. For the first two games, Six Nations, they played absolutely amazing against Ireland. Followed it up with an incredible second half display against France, and I think they've got their squad has got too much depth to be really troubled by Scotland even though Scotland may produce some hopefully can produce some good attacking play they will always 
make some errors as we've seen in recent time and I think England will win I'm not sure I, I think it's one of those ones where it's hard to predict kind of the point margin that kind so of Twickenham game Twickenham and England have yeah, got a very good record at Twickenham especially but it, I think it could be close it could not be close at all I can't predict that side of it I'm, I'm not sure how, where that would go but I do see England grinding out a win there yeah um, hang on I'm going to look who's playing next week is there a game next week is there next I'm week I'm going to look no, okay, I might be wrong here. Saturday 9th of March, it's England-Italy. So the well, ma- final match will final be match the... Final Scotland. Be in, that's huge, isn't that's it? That's big. And then Wales-Ireland, as you said. Yeah, and Scotland that Wales play each other next time out, which could okay. be potentially a very big match. Yeah. Um, so, interesting times ahead, isn't it, for the Six Nations? I mean, really, three teams in it. I think it's probably the most hotly contested Six Nations we've had in a couple of years with three teams. Usually it's there's a Grand Slam on the cards for one team and then it's one team that tries to upset them and maybe nab the title that's kind of how it goes but at the moment I think we've had three teams for a, a couple few years yeah absolutely and so the Welsh uh, do a job in England as usual <laughs> in, uh, in Cardiff uh, the time's half past six on this Sunday evening uh, still to come tonight we've got a bit of darts talk and we have cricket and uh, we've got a quiz as well Coming. George, are you in the quiz? I think I am, yeah. I think you are. Well, what's, what's the topic? I was thinking this earlier. I think I might get a bit of tennis back on the show and good have idea. Andy Murray as my topic. Yeah. So we'll see how I can I'll, do about that. Yeah, that's a good one. Radio, this is Bots We've Done Purple Radio. This is Purple Radio. Purple Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Purple Radio UK. Welcome back to Sportsfield and Purple Radio. Uh, Ed Chambers is coming into the studio again with his favourite music, piece of music on in the back. I leave it every week for you. So on oh. <laughs> oh, he doesn't like it. No, I uh, do like it. I just it was it just gets played with such regularity that I don't know. I'm, I'm just won, a, won an award, didn't it? The uh, Brit Awards. Did it? Yeah. Oh, you're just very culturally up to date. I, I did. I did. I didn't actually watch it. I did see like Jack Whitehall's best bits at the Brits. That was that was quite funny. But um, no, it just it just gets played a lot on this show. I just sometimes you know when I'm you know just relaxing, still kisses on just, uh, just running around in my head, just spinning. I don't know what that's got to do with uh, cricket. Nothing, oh, but you oh. asked me a question, so I answered it. Well done. Okay. Top marks. That's yeah. uh, 10 points. Ted Chambers. Mastermind. Uh, or University Challenge. Or University oh, Challenge. University yeah. of Durham, of course, back in action tomorrow evening, 8.30, oh. in the course finals. <laughs> two. Get your Sky Plus on it. Two Johnians involved, you know. Sorry? Two Johnians. Two Johnians. Yeah, involved. Yeah. In the, uh, in the four. Do you know them? Team. Uh, a bit. Not massively. No. Um, so, cricket. Obviously, we didn't do a free red skin this week because Edward had his parents up for uh, the weekend. Yes, and had a job, in- job interview. And I uh, was back home, so yeah, didn't happen. But we didn't have a podcast. But we'll, get, we'll get it out sometime yeah, this week. Yeah, next week. Um, or this week, depending, because it's Sunday. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but anyway, uh, one of the international series started. Uh, the first game, England walked a 360 run, uh, run chase. Uh, with the ease of someone just strolling along the beach. Utterly perplexing. I mean, it's just like at no point. It was obviously a required run rate of just over seven, and at no point did they look like they're not going to get it. They could have got there with about eight overs to go. They just stopped going for it to an extent uh, towards the 
towards the end of that innings. Um, so we had that. And we Jason Roy's fantastic 100. I mean, what a way to start that innings. Like yeah, 100, 123 runs off 85. I've also got to say something of Chris Gale. Just because 12 sixes in that innings. And some of them. It's just monstrous hitting. Some of them went many and many, many, many miles. I mean, I love Chris Gale. I mean, I would say that probably what in terms he, of... Why is he retiring? Oh, no. Such a shame. I mean, I'm thinking of like kind of things that got me into cricket. Like, obviously, I, I did get into England kind of cricket. But actually watching him... I used to watch him, you know, when the um, IPL used to be on ICV4. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was playing for Royal Challengers Bangalore. Yeah, RCB. And he just used to, like, just like <laughs> just sit there and watch it, like, when he got home from school. Just think, oh, Gail's playing now. He just hits it. It's just so good to watch. I mean, something else. Um, I don't think it'd be very good if you're bowling. And watching <laughs> <him>. <laughs> it's like, where do you pitch you it? Dispatched it's into that the man, sea. you know, that Australian commentator. Here comes Gale with another big strike. Absolutely. That's 95 metres. But um, no, he was he was exceptional. But yeah, what 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 a great game that was. And then the second ODI. Do you second, wanna the second ODI, England set out for uh, us. failed to uh, chase down uh, 290 for victory. They lost the last six wickets for 35 runs, England, and subsided to 263 all out in a match. Yeah. Which you know, I checked in about 25 overs and thought, isn't it wonderful that we live in a time when England know how to judge run chases perfectly? And I looked again and found England had lost. <laughs> My uh, word. Famous last words. Yes. Um, England had a bit of a bottle drop, to be honest. They did, honest. but they were. I mean, I, I do have to um, give credit to Jason Holder because, mm. he, I mean, I mean, firstly, um, born in Bridgetown, Barbados, he is enjoying the Kennington Oval, Barbados at the moment. Three for fifty-three. Obviously, wins wins West Indies that game, um, but also you know that was that was where he got two hundred and two in the in the test um, test match, uh-huh. not out. So I mean, I mean, actually, he's been the he's been the star of the sh- star of the show in this tour so yeah. far. I think he's been so impressive. World class. Well, absolutely world class. Like I mean, just to, to bring himself on for a spell like that, and it did it did change the game. It was one of those, as you say, it was a run chase where. It was sort of Stokes and Morgan were just seeing it through. They're both, I think, Stokes got 79, Morgan gets 70. They were just going at a really strong rate. Um, and then he comes in, and, and all of a sudden, when you get two quick wickets, now you've got new batsmen. And all of a sudden, things, things, begin to things tell, do... It, you're still having to get six and a half, you know, just overrun a ball, which can be really difficult when you've not got the time to play yourself in. So losing two established batsmen... All of a sudden, I was looking at thinking England can't, w- won't win this game, and uh, and the, the the wickets that we lost were kind of the, I felt an inevitable conclusion that mm. those two wickets being lost. But actually, it's really good. I mean, fantastic to have a a really competitive ODI series because that was the one thing about the Test series. Obviously, you've had three pretty one-sided games in the yeah. Test. It'd be nice to have some one like one now. Great, like properly competitive cricket for this tour. And, um, um, everyone, I like I like a good West Indies side. I like. Yeah, it. I do as well. Yeah. I do enjoy watching them there. Yeah. Uh, full of personality and character. Just such passion as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, third ODI takes place uh, tomorrow. Yes. In Grenada. Uh, so look out for that one. Uh, some other gritting news actually around yes. about. Where would you like to go? Well, I was going to start in the uh, in England first. Yes. Is that the this women's? Well, no? th- this is the hundred. Oh, okay. And chief executive England Wales. Cricket Board Chief Executive Tom Harrison said that the 100-ball competition has been a success already. And Ed Chambers, being a very clever history student, uh, can he tell me why it's been such a success already, given that we've had about um, 5% of the information we actually need about what it's about, and indeed it hasn't even has taken it, place... Has it been a success already? ...until no? 2020. I, haven't see, I actually haven't seen these comments. Uh, I, 
I was reading something about the hundred yes um, the other day. What did he? What did he actually just said? It's a success already. Based on what grounds were so those? So he's talked about the fact that he's got a lot of interest from potential business partners and okay. sponsors, and and he's talking about the fact that. Uh, so I mean, there'll be something that cricket fans all around the country will flock to. I mean, I don't know where he's got these stats from. Well, that that that's potentially the commercial side of things. Like I can buy that it's been successful. But he's saying it cricket fans all around the country. I yeah. thought this is a product that's aimed at people who aren't cricket fans. So interesting. I yeah. don't know how this is tallying up really. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. I think it's actually I think I think it's weird because I actually think it's more complicated. I'm uh, not sure it's going to succeed. It's a hundred balls. It's ten ten balls and over. Or five. Or five. Yeah. So the bowler can choose. You're bowling ten from one end, but a bowler can bowl five yeah. balls or he can bowl ten balls. Yeah. But he's not allowed to bowl more than 20 balls in the innings. Yeah. So it all actually becomes actually... I actually think it becomes more complicated. But you just go with four six? I don't, I don't know. I don't why. see it. I don't, I don't see it for that last I, I think it will. I think it will. I think it will. I think the big thing, which I've spoken about, actually not on this show, I don't think, but I did talk about it on Newsfeed last year when I used to do the bulletins. I always used to say was the fact that cricket has not been on DBC for ages it's mm. not been on main television and this format will be on so it will become something the thing is if you're on mainstream television then it becomes something cultural because people can consume it like when they're just flicking through the channels whereas when you put it on Sky Sports Cricket it doesn't have the same impact and there is within the T20 Blast much longer competition and there's a lot of grounds that just, just never get filled up at all so I think it will, it will make it more compact and, and sure but I don't actually see why they need to do 100 balls changing the format I don't understand mm. I can see getting a, a franchise T20 thing with the, the cities is good, but I'm not sure about the the actual format of it. In terms of getting cricket fans to flock, I mean, he really can't say that just now. Um, well, I think a lot of cricket fans, traditional cricket fans, are very dubious about yes. this product. Yes, and are not one of. No, I would be one chance. of those. Yeah, but I'm I am not, willing I'm to be pers- persuaded. I mean, I think I'm it will be, ex- to be. Yes, well, you're probably a bit more of a traditionalist than I am. Yeah, I, well, I that's think. the thing. I'm very much yeah. a Lancashire sport, and I wouldn't support. You know, Joe, Manchester Root, Joe Root playing for Manchester something in right in like uh, Old sure. Trafford. I don't think it would work. Um, obviously, you had the news in the. Did you put it in the news bulletin? No, you didn't. Did you about India and Pakistan? No, uh, I didn't put to, uh, put it in. But I, I, yeah, I was reading about it just earlier. Um, it's yeah. quite interesting. This one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, it's quite an interesting one. The latest terrorist attack, isn't it, in the Kashmir region? That's right. So of, it's well, it's a disputed region, yeah. And uh, the Indian uh, cricket board, basically, BCCI. Yeah, yeah, asked the ICC basically to get involved, if yeah. you like. And one possible outcome would be India boycotting their match against Pakistan yeah. in the World Cup in England uh, later this summer. Yeah, uh, which would, which is very interesting. Obviously, um, the, the this is international tension, and, and uh, one of the reasons is in the news is is also because. Varak Kohli today has come out and said that he would support the, the, the decision. Um, not that, to be honest, I think he would. Basically giving two points away. Yes. I mean, Sachin Tendulkar came out on Twitter and he said that um, it would kind of be the points are not what matters here. Um, so, yeah, Which definitely. Extend, definite, makes sense if you're that. Yeah. If you, if what, I mean, if you're going to take, take the, um, take the line on it, it's, it's, it's kind of what the, what the nation wants, what the, uh, what the people want. Um, but m- more importantly, I mean, what happens if they meet further down the line? Um, you know, well, yeah, in the what, what if they mean in the quarter final or semi final or a World yeah. Cup final? Because obviously they met in which the, is they met in the, the Champions, Champions, Trophy. Champions Trophy final, yeah. didn't they? Where which Pakistan is, yeah, um, was with uh, you know uh, Misbah and you know, doing, doing the incredible things in that in that game. Um, so it is that that side of it is, is kind of interesting to me as well, and how this looks forward. Um, 
But yeah, it's going to add something to this World Cup. Certainly. It's going to be a lot um, of spice, you imagine, especially between the two teams, especially yeah. if that game does actually take well, place. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, sort of a, a very difficult situation for an Indian captain like Virat Kohli to have to deal with. And the ICC as and well. And the ICC to deal because with. Of well, everyone involved. This yeah. is a very political... And also it's disputed at the moment. Um, so uh, things are obviously very, very tense. And you know, poli- cricket, cricket does get tangled up with politics, particularly uh, Pakistan, India. That's it's just what kind of what happens. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a, a step up. Um, yeah, and we'll see how that uh, unfurls. Yeah. Over the coming weeks and uh, and months. Can I have a word on on something cricket related that yeah, I just that I think you have a moan? No, 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 not a moan actually. I just got to remark upon what I would describe as the most the most unbelievable cricket series. I mean, is this for Sri Lanka? No, no, Scotland against oh, Oman. Oh yeah. So, uh, this has been like popping up on on BBC Sport. Scotland against Oman. The first game of this this three match one day international series has been played over this week. The first game, Oman were bowled out for 24. 24 all out, 17 overs. Scotland knocked them off in, <laughs> them off in 20 balls. Um, Carl uh, Curzon in 60. Yeah, exactly. The day after, they come out and play exactly the same team. Play. Oman um, won by 93 runs. They scored 248. Bowled Scotland out for 155. And in this last game, Scotland did win. Um, but they chased down um, Amman. Um, oh, I've, I've got this written down here. But they chased Amman down. Uh, Amman, I didn't. Uh, to be fair, I didn't. Act, they haven't got ODI official status. No. But the idea that you could get bowled out for 24, and it's not like it, actually after 17 overs, so somebody stuck around for quite a long time. Um, uh, just, that just really. So, some mad matches going on at the moment. Like, yeah. Did you see the uh, Afghanistan Ireland one? Yeah, world record. Afghanistan um, two seventy eight for three or something, wasn't it? Yeah. And one, one of the, the Ireland um, got one hundred ninety four for six, which normally would win you a T twenty match. Opening batsman got one hundred sixty one, sixty one, sixty two. Second Crazy. highest. And Ireland, are, you know, they were Test cricket nation. As yeah, absolutely. We'll find out later on in the summer. Um, I think you're in for darts next, are you not, Ed? Yes. He is. I'm in for darts. It's quarter to seven on a Sunday evening, and uh, Bertie will be joining uh, Ed in the. Uh, I was going to say in the hot seat, but obviously not both going to be on the same hot seat. <laughs> Just to clarify, I'm sure I'll be sticking around uh, as well. But that's coming up next on Sports Feed on Purple Radio. No, it's not. Ones I've uh, sorted out. Might here we go. Sort of this is. Facebook and Twitter at Purple Radio UK. Yes, welcome back to Purple Radio. It has just gone quarter to seven, and although the League Cup still hasn't been decided, we're going to talk a bit about some more darts. How's the Premier League been getting on this weekend? Uh, thank you, Bertie. Well, um, first thing to say, um, actually, not that I'll start not with the Premier League. The Players Championship qu- uh, qualifiers have been going on the weekend. Go and Price has won both of them, so. Uh, all day tournaments they start with 128 players he's won on Saturday and he's won again today which is absolutely remarkable given Go and Price um, out in the first round of the World Championships looking like he was going to be completely um, kind of kind of sort of um, 
silenced, a little bit sort of um, jaded by his sort of um, big finds, big antics, huge pantomime villains, villain status. But he's certainly um, he's certainly coming back on that. He um, well, let's talk about the the Premier League in in Dublin uh, at the on, on Thursday. I actually didn't get to watch much of it because I was uh, out with my parents having a having a nice. Out of the darts with your parents. No, 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 nice slap-up meal. So I didn't manage to watch um, the darts this week. But um, just I'm whacking microphones over here. Um, but what would I, what I take away? Michael Van Gerwen took on Rob Cross. Big, big game. One of those I talked about last week. I said I thought Rob Cross and Peter Wright were going to be the people that could potentially challenge uh, Van Gerwen later down the line. Um, wasn't particularly high quality. Um, Van Gerwen himself... But Van Gerwen always comes off and says if he's averaged anything under about 104, he always says, oh, I could have played better. I could play better. Early Dorsch, I tried to uh, try to play it, but I couldn't do it. And well, um, if, if you average the higher the higher three darts, then yeah. you're going to win more on average. So yeah. I suppose that's the way to look at it. Yeah. No, but, but uh, he still won 7-2. But Rob Cross didn't um, didn't quite hit his high standards. I think a little bit... Um, yeah, 7-2 victory is, is, is pretty one-sided. Um, so Rob Cross... Yeah, I was a little bit surprised with that. I thought... I thought it could be a could be a closer closer game than uh, than it uh, than it turned out. A big win for Peter Wright over Steve Lennon, who was the um, the contender, the hometown hero uh, in Dublin. Um, he won by seven five. So that puts that puts him in it puts him in a really good place. That was his first win of the of the season so far after having having uh, two draws um, to start with. And um, then what else? Well, Van Barneveld came back again from six one down to to win a point. So that's two weeks in a row that Van Barneveld's been six one down and come back in his uh, in his farewell year is um, certainly something that's pretty um, pretty impressive. Um, but I think I think the the Premier League. I don't know. I feel like it's lacking a little bit of spice at the yeah. moment. Um, Personalities wise, or just uh, the games haven't quite not necessarily personality wise. I think um, there's not as many high kind of high scorers. So. In terms of in terms of theatre, um, it's not been. I don't think it's been quite as good as it as it has been. And actually, that's true of the World Championships. I thought the World Championships were not as dramatic as they have been in terms of spectacle. So um, yeah, I think I think there's um, there's a slightly different. Having said that, um, Gerwin Price and, and James Wade um, had a six all draw and they produced ten one eighties, um, and Wade was five two up, but. Um, go in price uh, put it put it back to 5 all and then uh, then took a 6-5 lead and I think um, Wade took a 1-2-9 check out at the end to, to get a draw so that and that's probably that was probably a pretty good game but um, yeah I don't know I feel like the darts lacks a few talking points with mm. them it's slightly it's going to take a little bit of a while to adjust to losing Taylor um, he's the figurehead around everything which is built and yeah I think so MVG is not quite going to command that stage in the same manner as just at the moment. Sure, but it's more that who who challenges MVG because obviously uh, Rob Cross did win that world championship, but it was kind of came from nowhere. Didn't yeah, it? it's almost sometimes you can. I wonder whether sometimes you can get success too quickly. Um, and I think he's going to take. Well, he said it took last year to adapt, um, and he's still kind of finding his feet because it was it's only his second year in the Premier League, and it is a step up. I mean, they're playing when they play those tour matches on the on the tour. They're, they're playing literally in leisure centres around the country with nobody. Yeah. And um, you know, you go into the to the three arena in Dublin. I mean, there's there's ten thousand people there. It's a comp- it's like being a rock star. It's like it's like going from playing in a pub, literally, literally going playing in a pub, and then going 
um, touring around the country. So it's a huge step up. And um, but Van Gogh, and I mean, he's won the league format of it um, every single time he's been in it so far. Um, sometimes he's obviously not won in the playoffs, but he certainly um, certainly cleans up. But yeah, it's sort of it, because because it seems one sided. I feel like Van Gogh is certainly going to walk away with the league um, section, whether he does in the playoffs. That's another thing. But I don't know. It slightly slightly loses added spice. But the um, yeah, I don't. I, but I do think the challenger format has added something to it. Um, with um, what with a Chris Dobie. Not close shop, is it? No, I think that's that's what that's what I, what it has to do. Um, Chris Dobie took a point um, in the first week, but um, Glenn Durrant and um, Steve Lennon obviously haven't. Actually, I didn't say last week about about Glenn Durrant, who was the he comes into this year uh, into the PDC um, three times, winning the the BDO qualified for his card almost didn't um mm. qualify for his card and then last week which i didn't i didn't mention um he won his first um ranking tour event um and he sort of broke down in tears when he when he won it when he when he um hit the final dart um so it's certainly i think it's um he's the question of whether he was um going to adapt was something that they were kind of very interested in because there is always that that thing when when you when you get that announcement from the from the announcers when they say um, three-time champion of the world and people go yeah but not really because it's it's the BDO and the PDC which really yeah. in terms of quality just don't stack up I mean obviously I'm not going to say that he's going to come on and he's going to start winning big TV majors but he's certainly going to um, he's certainly got the um, a bit, certainly got the ability to hang with the best and I think, he sho- I think he's showing that at the moment um, but yeah no, I think the contender the contender ad- um, element is adding stuff to it but the kind of middle of the table just kind of looks a little mm. bit a little bit it's full of a lot of kind of gritty dark players yeah been there done do it before do a little bit more flash I think but maybe that's going to come out as the as it as it, um, as it progresses but, but we talked a lot last week about MVG and Taylor and, yeah. and what the future darts was but it's quite interesting that given that it's a sport where people don't necessarily shoot to prominence they'll sort yeah. of they've got such a long career that yeah. When you talk about where these new talents are going to come from, where these new selling points are going to come <coughs> from, it can take a little bit more time with darts to find that. Yeah. No, sure. Um, well, I think... Um, how do you mean in terms of... Um, so just cl- what, clarify what you mean, what is in terms of the, the new faces coming from... Well, you have, you have players that are around for so long that you get used yeah. to their faces being there, and when they're gone, there's a big vacuum which isn't necessarily going to be filled True. quickly. Yeah. No, I mean, Van Barneveld, again... Um, Leaving this year, it's certainly a, it's a, certainly a, a sea change in darts. It's kind of the the guys who kind of came in. Well, well, Barnavel joined the PDC uh, 13, 13 years ago, I think it was two thousand six. So he's been a mainstay of things for a while. Um, and yeah, I think it's, this is a transition point. And but, but I think you're right in terms of faces getting established and getting used to the format for the moment. Van Gogh and dominates though. I don't know, Jeff, has it? This is Sports Feed on Purple Radio.
Welcome back to Sports Feed on Purple Radio in the imitable words of our very own Adrian Wadloff. But I'm not Adrian Wadloff, thankfully, and I am Bertie Moores, and I'm going to be chairing the quiz as I do at this time at 5 to 7 every single Sunday evening. This time, sat in front of me, I have Daniel Rees and George Genk, who are going in the League of Champions Tea Time's toughest sporting quiz. You have both selected a topic, and I will each give you five questions on said topic. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Straight, Straight in. in there. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to respond to the man who's bold. Daniel, your topic of choice is Bolton Wanderers between 2004 and 2012, the Premier League years. Ah, what a distant past that is now. <laughs> and the distant future, I imagine, too. Hopefully not, but it probably will be the case. You have five questions on Bolton Wanderers, starting now. Bolton brought in which Japanese legend for one season before his retirement in the mid-noughties? Nakamura. Hidetoshi Nakati. Question two. After selling Nicholas and Elka in the January transfer window, which player came in as a record sign in the following summer to replace him? Joanne Armanda. Correct. Question number three. Bolton beat Birmingham 3-2 in the 2011 FA Cup quarter-finals. Who scored Bolton's three goals? Ivan Klasnic? I know. I want three. Oh, sorry, you want three scorers? Yep, three different scorers. Ivan Klasnic, um, Kevin Davis, and I'm not going to say John Armando because I've already answered a question about him, so I'm going to say Nigel Rio Coker. No, it was Johan Almanda, Kevin Davis, and... Chung Yong Lee. Question number four. Who scored Bolton's opening goal against Bayern Munich in the UEFA Cup group stage in 2007? Well, that's a very you can't good pick question. my team as your topic of choice and not expect difficult questions. I was expecting difficult questions. Good. Uh, are you going to answer it right? No. Um, uh, ah, the opening goal. That's a. I'm going to have to hurry you. Oh, Kevin Davis. No, Kevin Davis scored the second. I knew he'd be the obvious answer. So yeah. the first goal scorer was Ricardo Gardner. Question oh, number yeah. five. List all of Bolton's managers in this period. Oh, um, from a four or five. Sam Allardyce. Samuel Lee. Gary Megson. Owen Coyle. Correct. Daniel Reese, you end with two points. George Genk, you have required to score two point three points or more in order to take those valuable three points on the table. Your topic of choice? Andy Muddy. <laughs> Question number one. It's a really tough match. A really tough match. <laughs> Question number one. Which village did Andy Murray grow up in? Dumbledore. Correct. Question number two. Name two of Murray's coaches over the years. Correct. There's too long a list for me to read out. <laughs> Question number three. What's Andy Murray's current ranking? Um, 227. Very close. It's 223. I can't give you the oh. points, unfortunately. Question number four. To the nearest 50, how many singles matches has Andrew Murray played professionally? <laughs> Two thousand. He's not. A, he's not a machine. <laughs> Eight hundred and fifty. <laughs> Question number five. Oh 
when asked about how he eats his strawberries at Wimbledon, oh. rather than saying with cream, what did he respond with? Oh, with a fork. Do you want with to hear from fingers. Andy Murray himself no what the correct answer oh, to this is? <laughs> what does Andy Murray eat his strawberries with? With cream. With cream. With cream. With his fingers. He was cut off, unfortunately. Andy Murray eats his strawberries with his fingers. So that's two points each, because you said fork. A fork is not a finger. Can confirm. So, unless you manage to see the back of my sheet whilst I was reading that. Tiebreaker. Sergio Aguero has scored a lot of goals in his career. Wait, is this addressed to both of us? Yes, this is addressed oh, right, to both okay. of you. Uh, you, will, uh, you will both give uh, Ed Chambers uh, your answer, and he, then he can confirm whether or not you're responding to each other's answer in some sort of game theory-style battle. How many goals has Sergio Aguero scored in his club career? You now have ten seconds to come up with a number, and the closest to that is the winner, and you have to tell Ed for verification. They're going to whisper it in my ear, is that the idea? Yeah, Delicately. Thinking. I thought Daniel had to field some quite difficult questions there. <laughs> Can we please give Ed your answers? Daniel? Okay. Daniel, how many goals has Sergio Guerrero scored in his career? 273. And George? 253. It's 348. Oh. oh. Daniel Reese is going to be taking the points home this evening. Sneaks a narrow victory. Yeah, as narrow as narrow as they come, uh, that is it for League of Champions this week. I'm going to hand you back over to our very own Adrian Wadlow. Absolutely, uh, Bertie. Well, thank you very much. I thought I was a surprisingly tough quiz uh, this evening, but as ever, you know that's exactly why it is the nation's favourite tea time quiz show on a Sunday evening. Anyway, that finishes Sports Food for another week on Purple Radio. Thanks for listening and sending your messages in. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't think uh, the League Cup is still finished. Uh, it's been going on for uh, a pretty long time now. Um, I promise that a new episode of Free Reds Kumar will be coming out this week after uh, this week's uh, shenanigans. You can count on that. Uh, another episode of The Breakdown will be landing too. And don't forget that Purple Radio Sport will be at the big Super Rugby Clash between Durham and Leeds Beckett, Ed Chambers and I will be there. That looks to be a very close game. Should be a cracker between two evenly matched teams. But for me, Adrian Wally and the rest of the Sports Feed team, it's a very good evening and have a great week. <laughs>